Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Sweeps it in behind the net. Throws on the break, centers, Butchnevich to Tarasenko, he scores! It's ahead to Tarasenko, he's in the clear, he scores! Tarasenko, he tucks it in with a great move, a four-point game. He's got two goals, and the Blues are leading four to two. Cody Eakin lost it, Tarasenko to the empty net, he's got it, he scores! If you've got a hat, chuck it in your radio. Vladimir Tarasenko with a hat trick in Buffalo tonight. The horn sounds, Bortuzzo turns, pats his goaltender on the pads, and you can bring out the Zamboni. The St. Louis Blues beat the Buffalo Sabres on a big night, 6-2 the final. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. What a game it was last night in Buffalo as the Blues now have a 10-game point streak. They have won seven straight games. They have scored four or more, more goals in every game during this streak. Alex, it's one of the longest streaks in franchise history, and they won last night playing a different style. They have won seemingly in every game, every way over this streak. One of the things that had really stood out to everybody, and it was kind of the storyline going into last night's game, was, oh, my God, the Blues are getting off to such great starts. They're scoring the first goal every night. Well, guess what happened last night? They didn't score the first goal, and it didn't matter because they were able to come back and they played a wide-open game, especially in that second period against the Sabres. The Blues finished that game with just seven hits. Alex, I've gone back at least a month in game logs. I can't find any other game in that stretch in which the Blues had seven hits or fewer in any individual game. They had 12 against Columbus. That's the lowest uh, that I can find in this stretch. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter the way that this team plays right now. They are finding ways to win against everybody. And last night wasn't close. Bennington, Huso, it doesn't matter. Every night it seems like there's a different line go, uh, that's out there producing for them. Tori Krug looks excellent. This team is ready to go, man. Yesterday, Joey Vitale told us they look playoff ready, and I don't know how you can have any other takeaway but that after last night's win. Well, I found it, BK. I went back in my handy-dandy notebook like Steve from Blue's Clues, and I found it. You know the last time they had a game where they had less than 10 hits? November 16th against the Arizona Coyotes. Wow. That was the only time this season that they have had less and that than double-digit hits. That was rock bottom. If you that remember, was a loss. that was the game where we were all like, uh-oh, 
something's going wrong here. Bennington is a disaster. This team isn't producing. They were in the midst of a four-game losing streak. They had lost in that stretch against Anaheim and Nashville, Carolina, Edmonton, and then they lost to Arizona. That's interesting that that's the stretch in which it happened. They had two other games where they had 11 hits. November 14th against Edmonton, that was the game that they lost on that late But this is the fewest over the season? That's the fewest, seven. Tied for the fewest over the season for the Blues. That's what so impressed me last night, and that's why I feel like that this team is playoff ready. And uh, tongue-in-cheek on our Air Comfort Service text line, we're going to the ship, boys. Hey, I don't know if they're going to go there, but they look like a team that is bound to go on a deep run. Because Don Granado, the head coach of the Buffalo Sabres last night, before the game, he talked with the media. And this is a team that was coming off of a victory against the Toronto Maple Leafs. They beat them 5-2. Toronto with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. And Don Granado said, the only way we can win, I'm paraphrasing this here because I'm sure he said it better than I'm putting it. But he basically said, we win hockey games by getting to a fast pace of play. We're not going to be the the strongest team. We're not going to be the most physical team. But what we're going to be is a team that's going to outskate you. And the Blues said, okay, want to play that game? We'll play that game. And they tried it. And in the first period, they looked like they were going to have the advantage here. If it wasn't for the power play, Buffalo probably would have ended that period with a 1-0 lead. And we'd be talking about, okay, you got to get going in the second. But you came into that game last night a plus 38 in the second period. Best goal differential in the second period. And, of course, remember, the second period is when they flip sides and you have the longer change for your bench. Craig Ruby has talked about how the second period works to their advantage because of their speed. It's no coincidence that the Blues opened up that game in the second period with their speed. The odd man rushes with Tarasenko and Buchnevich and Robert Thomas. Some great passing from Tory Krug in his own zone. You get the power play goal as well. This team is dangerous in the second, but they basically looked at Buffalo and they said, want to play that game? We'll play that game. In the past, this Blues team has struggled when teams don't drag them into the fight. If if their opponent has two hits in a hockey game, you're probably talking about the Blues losing, but not this team. They found the recipe to beat teams at whatever way they want to play, and I think that is very impactful about this Blues team. And I think this is when they're at their best as well, is when they get to play this kind of open style of game where they're not having to dump and chase and play that physical brand of hockey, but they're able to shift that focus, as we mentioned, I think it was just the other day where we talked about, you know, they won't be, they won't play a physical style game unless you drag them into it. And, and with that being the case, I, I think the Blues play better off when they're playing this style. So if they can play like this heading into the playoffs, they're willing to make the changes the game goes along as well. So if they end up having to play a physical style, they can. If they want to play the fast-paced style, which I'm not sure you're going to see a lot of in the West until you see a Colorado or a Calgary. They're able to win in both styles, and there's not many teams that can probably say that in the National Hockey League. I said this last night on postgame, BK. People here see the teams like, oh yeah, you beat Buffalo, congrats. Buffalo was a team that was coming off of victories against Toronto and Carolina. People say, oh yeah, cool, you beat the Islanders. Islanders had won 15 of 17 games. Oh, you beat the Vancouver Canucks twice. They were four points out of the playoffs when you did. This stretch where you've won seven in a row and points in 10 straight, you're beating quality opponents despite them being out of the playoffs with the exception of Arizona and Seattle. Yeah, and like there's a game against Minnesota in here. You went out to Boston and, and beat them pretty handily. Like it's 
it's a little bit of everything that you've got in this stretch, and that's what you got to do. You got to take care of take care of the teams that are uh, on your schedule. And Tanner, to your point on them being able to play that wide open style, I found it interesting that it almost felt like three different games in three separate periods last night. The first period was kind of a mix, right? It was up and down and all around. Second period was as wide open as you could possibly imagine in any game that the Blues have played all season long. Third period, they really clogged that thing down, man. Yep. They, they went back to the Blues, Craig Berube style of game, and they did so for a reason. They did so because they needed to shut down Buffalo, and they wanted to just escape that thing with a win. And, I mean, it wasn't close, but that that's what they needed to do, and so they, they were able to change their style of game. It, it brings me back to right before this stretch, Alex, we were talking about whether or not maybe there was a little bit of a disconnect within the team of, okay, the veterans want to kind of shift this thing back to one style of play. It felt like the young guys were not necessarily pushing back against that, but they had had so much success playing a different style, and then the team was stuck somewhere in the middle. And we've seen that before, right? We'd seen that when, I think it was last year, we were like, hey, you know, it it feels like Doug Armstrong wants to play one way with the players that he's adding to the team, and Barubi maybe wants to play another with the style that he's playing, and it's not meshing well. And you almost saw that on the ice in early to mid-March. I think what we're watching right now is they've gotten back to what they were at the beginning of the year when we saw them playing at such a high level, which is, do they have guys that play different styles? Yeah, they still do. That's always going to be the case with this meld of players. But now we're watching at what that can look like when it's clicking. Sometimes that can be a good thing. And last night you saw it. That line of Thomas, Tarasenko, and Buchnevich, man, that line plays with some flash. They play with some flair. They're going to make that extra pass, as Joey Vitale said last night. They're passing up on the six for a 10. And there were times, Ivan Barbashev looking at you, where maybe you passed up on a nine to get a nine. <laughs> but most of the time when that happens right now, it's working for them. They're getting the pucks that are ending up going in the net that maybe are 50-50 types of puck. That puck luck that was going against them previously, now it's in favor of them. And it just feels like everything is falling in the right direction, so much so that Jordan Bennington even looks good right now. He had a really nice game last night. That's two in a row for him where he's performed at a very high level. Tori Krug looks excellent since his return. It's back-to-back multi-point performances for Tori Krug. Alex, it's the first time he's done that since he came over into a Blues uniform. So, I mean, they're, they're clicking at all cylinders right now. There's... There's really nothing to be super concerned about. Yeah, and, you know, they still have some tough games on their schedule. This weekend, obviously, is going to be a really telling sign because it's going to go back into the physical brand of hockey, and you're going back-to-back with those two games. So um, that's going to be a real good test for the Blues to play Minnesota on Saturday, and then you got Nashville on Sunday. But then you're going – you come home to play Boston, which is going to be a tough matchup. But then you go out on the road and you take on Anaheim, Arizona, and I believe San Jose, Colorado, San Jose, Colorado. So you have three teams that are out of the playoffs that are going to give you more of the speed and finesse. And then you finish up the season with two physical teams that are fighting for play. Well, Colorado's not going to be fighting, but Vegas fighting up for playoff positioning. So and for me, it's not even about like I understand there were so many individual numbers from last night's game. And I know we're going to get into them with Thomas and Tarasenko, Buchnevich and Bennington. And it's not even the individualistic numbers that come out of the games. It's just the groups of how they're performing. Offensively, 
You right now have one of the best offenses in the National Hockey League with what they're doing. Defensively, you're holding opponents. That's now 10 straight games. You've held your opponents in the third period to six goals. Your special teams. Your special teams is 100% on the penalty kill, and you've only allowed 12 shots on 12 power plays in your last 10 games. And then you got goaltending. As much as people don't want to talk about it because it's kind of like the it's the elephant in the room with Jordan Bennington, but the guy is a 1.50 goals against and a 9.55 save percentage against two decent teams in the Islanders and Buffalo. He made sure that you earned points. So as much as you talk about the individuals that come out of these performances, and that's what people like to talk about, you just got to look at the group. There's no weak spot right now for this Blues team. And I understand that it's the regular season and it's different than in the playoffs and you'll take on tougher teams and maybe it looks different against Minnesota and Nashville this weekend. But they're a team that I would imagine a lot of people in the NHL are looking at and going, oh, crap, here they come. If there's one concern, and I'm not concerned by it, but I know that if you look at the advanced numbers, they are going to be concerned about it. This is why people like Dom over at The Athletic are not going to totally <sighs> buy into uh, the, the Blues in this winning streak. Alex, you brought up these numbers to us uh, before the show. The Blues have allowed 2.4 goals allowed per game in this 10-game stretch where they're 9-0-1. They're points in 10 straight games. That's excellent. Top five in the league in terms of goals allowed per game in this stretch. They are, however, allowing an average of 34 shots per game in this stretch. That is bottom 10 in the league. They are also only taking fewer than 30, about 29 and a half shots per game in this stretch, which is also bottom 10 in the league. It's 23rd in this last 10-game stretch. Is that concerning to you at all as we go down here in the final, what is it now, eight games of the season? How much concern do you have about them getting outshot in this 9-0-1 stretch? I would say if you had to put it on a scale of 1-10 to 10, where I always mess these up, so hopefully I do this correctly, I'd put it at like a 3. I'm not really concerned about it. And I know a lot of people, I, I had a bunch of texts last night talking about, well, you got to stop giving up 40 shots on goal. And Dom, our buddy, goes analytic style and does a power rankings today on The Athletic and has the Blues at 10th. And he has them below the Boston Bruins and the Toronto Maple Leafs and, and teams like that. But here's my question to people that would say, well, you just got to stop giving up all those shots on goal. Would you rather have a team that's giving up 25 26 per game shots on goal, but you've got Mike Smith in net, or you've got Jack Campbell in net, or would you rather have a team who's given up 34, 35 shots on goal, but you got a Ville Husso or Jordan Bennington in net? And I'm saying this Jordan Bennington. I'm not saying Jordan Bennington this season. I would much rather have a team that has a hot goaltender or a goaltender who is a stud right now and, and take the team that's giving up those shots because they're trying to create more offense than a team that's trying to be defensively minded because they're worried their goaltender isn't going to make the save. So I'm not concerned about it. If there's a problem that persists in the next couple of games where they look like they did against the Edmonton Oilers where you're giving up six goals on 17 shots, then I'm going to start to get to concern. But right now, who's so stopping them? Bennington stopping them. I'd say bring on the shots because it seems like that drags this team into the game a little bit better. I think I would go with that. I'm at a five. I'm not overly concerned, but I do find it a little bit. Uh, 
eye-opening that they're giving up that many shots. Because remember, early on in the season, it was the same way with Jordan Bennington, where he was facing a lot of shots. At the time, he was saving them, and then he started. Then the floodgates started to happen. Then you get Jordan Bennington that struggles, and you end up turning the net over to Phil Who? So I, I think when it gets to playoff time, I don't think the Blues can be giving up as many shots, and I don't know if they're going to be able to change that or not. But granted, the way Ville Huso is playing, it doesn't tip the scale too far towards that ten for me because of because the way he's playing and he's stopping these shots. But I do find it a little alarming, the fact that they are giving up so many. And I think when it gets to playoff time, it's going to have to tighten. They're going to have to tighten things up and give up less shots as they move along in the playoffs. From the 9-8-0, Alex isn't concerned about the shots being given up because they're scoring a lot. But what happens when the scoring goes away like it did earlier in the season? Are people really concerned that the scoring is going to dry up for this team? Robert Thomas, Vladimir Tarasenko, and Pavel Buchnevich had 13 points last night in three periods. Against Buffalo. Against Buffalo. Well, it's Buffalo. <laughs> but, like, are we really concerned about this team that's going to just stop scoring all of a sudden? So, let me let me put this in, in perspective for you for a second. Yeah, break, are, break them down, BK. Break them down. Are you guys concerned about Colorado right now? Yes. I'm saying from a Colorado fan, if you were a Colorado Avalanche fan today, with your team winning each of its last eight games, they have 16 points in this stretch. Are you concerned right now about your Colorado Avalanche going into the playoffs? The answer is a no. resounding no, correct? I no, because no. I'm looking at my opponent. The reason why I'm saying this, and it might sound weird for me to ask that question, is because the Avalanche have allowed an average of 38 shots against over their last eight games in which they are 8-0. and Oh, somebody's on my side, T-Bone. Take in a this seat. stretch. I didn't plan on this. <laughs> they are giving up an average of 30 scoring chances oh! per game Whoa. against them. The Blues are at the exact same number per 60 minutes. So if you're not concerned about the abs, it's hard for me to sit here today and be like, yeah, super worried about the Blues when they have basically the identical profile as the Colorado Avalanche over their last 10 games. Now, of course, I'm not sitting here and telling you guys that the Blues are the Avs and that's the way that it's going to be moving forward. No, but I'm telling you They're that over their, than them. over their last month of games, the Blues and the Avalanche have a remarkably similar profile as teams. The Blues go about it in a slightly different game and they are not as high paced as the Avalanche are. But the end results are pretty darn similar. The Blues in this stretch, 9-0-1. The Avs in the same stretch, 8-0-0. So, yeah, I'm not worried about the Avs. I'm also not worried about the Blues for this specific reason. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In about 15 minutes, we're getting to Mike McKenna, the former NHL goalie. Want to get his thoughts on this. If there is a concern about the Blues, this would be it. The number of shots that they're still allowing on average per game. I'm not worried about it. Alex isn't worried about it. Tanner is flat out panicking right now. Unbelievable. We'll get Mike McKenna's thoughts about that coming up at 1130. Albert Pujols. Wow. Really shoved that one down my throat last oh. night, didn't he? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. to today that's kind of what we were hoping to see as far as that matchup and we saw exactly exactly that um, he took some good at bats uh squared the ball up um drew a walk and yeah that was uh, a nice day at albert 
It's like I've been trying to tell you guys. Don't even. You got to get Albert Pujols in the lineup every day. Every single day. It doesn't matter what kind of pitcher you're going up against. It doesn't matter what handedness they are. It doesn't matter if they're a righty, a lefty. They throw hard. They throw soft. They throw curves. They call throw sliders. It doesn't matter right now. Albert Pujols is on a heater. And you got to get him out there in your lineup. And yesterday, he showed you why. One for three with a walk. He had some of the hardest hit balls on the day. He looked excellent against both Brandon Woodruff. And then once you got into the Brewers bullpen as well, did some damage there. Alex, I tried to tell you yesterday that this is why you got to get Albert Pujols in that lineup. Oh, yeah. Just like you tried to tell me that Tommy Edmonds shouldn't hit against righties because he's only good against lefties. You said that he should switch being a switch hitter just so he can only hit righties or lefties. So should consider it, and yesterday that didn't go well. What happened yesterday? He hit a home run, and it was a no-doubter, and I'm not really sure why it's like a 93% chance of being a hit according to StatCast, but we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. I'd say it's a 100% chance of this guy being able to hit righties. So I, I don't know. I just don't know with Albert Pujols. I don't get it, man. I wasn't with you on the fact that he shouldn't be playing because I just said that right now. Obviously, you're rewarding the guy for a great performance on Sunday against the Royals, and the team was playing well with him. And so why not let the let the good times flow? Let it ride, as we say in Blackjack T-Bone, because scared money don't make money, and Ali Marmol just said, I'm all in with Albert Pujols. Yeah, he's certainly not afraid, and Albert looks really good at the plate right now. And he's I will hitting give, them hard. Obviously, yesterday, I, I was not upset about the decision. I was confused by the decision, because everything we had heard all offseason from the Cardinals, they were the ones that were saying this, was that they weren't going to be playing Albert Pujols against this type of pitcher. They liked certain matchups for him, and based on all of the evidence that we had, that type of pitcher, right-handed at least, was the type that throws a little softer. Brandon Woodruff is not that. And by the way, his stuff looked nasty yesterday. It didn't play up as well as you would maybe expect, and some of that I'm imagining is because of the ballpark in which they play in, but his stuff looked really good didn't matter against Albert. He looked excellent at the plate. Right-handed, left-handed, hard, soft. It didn't matter. So credit to the Cardinals. Credit to Marmol. He made a right, the right decision, clearly. I was wrong in questioning what they decided to do there. Now, I don't know if this is sustainable. And right now, it doesn't much matter. If he's able to do this regularly you're probably going to see more of Albert against right-handed pitching. And this is what Dan and BT were talking about yesterday on the broadcast of his ability to be able to go out there against other right-handed pitchers. So, Dan, we saw Albert today against one of the toughest right-handers in the league in Brandon Woodruff. You believe that's something we're going to see more and more of? I I was trying to think of the matchups coming up here and where the fit is. Certainly Sunday would be Ashby the lefty. But the way that he's taking at bats, I do see him playing, though, more against right-handed pitching. So that was Dan and BT last night. Alex, how do you see this one setting up? Because Sunday, he's definitely getting the start. There's no doubt about it. You got a lefty on the mound, or at least that's what's expected for Milwaukee. He will start that game. Do you start him tonight against Peralta? Do you start him tomorrow against Hauser? Those are the two that I find to be really interesting, and I I honestly don't know the answer to that right now. I would think you don't, based on the type of pitcher that these guys are, but uh, I wouldn't have thought that he would have got the start yesterday either. Yeah, I don't. At least for this weekend, I'm not sure how you go about this, and I think a lot of it comes down to to um, energy level with Albert Pujols. Is he able to play in 
Friday and Sunday, or does he need Friday off and play Saturday, Sunday? I don't think he could play all three, and I don't think you would play him in all three because why did you sign Corey Dickerson? You want to get him in there. You've got Lars Newbar. So I would guess either tonight or tomorrow you'll see one of those lefties getting in on the DH position because Albert would play on Sunday. But if I'm Ali Marmol, I mean, my offense didn't do much yesterday, and my guys that actually did were Albert Pujols and Tommy Edmond. So going into this one against Freddie Peralta, I'd have Albert Pujols in there again, and then I'd probably give him the day off tomorrow, get Corey Dickerson in against Hauser so you can get a lefty or maybe Lars Newtbar, and then you're going right back to Pujols on Sunday. T-Bone, what about you? I, I would go back to Albert again today as well, and I know it's not the typical matchup that we talk about, but again, last night wasn't either, but he's the only one that's been hitting. I mean, Dickerson has looked a little bit overmatched at the plate so far in his eight plate appearances. You haven't really seen Lars Newtbar, and I, I don't know if considering what the offense did yesterday, which is a good point from you, Alex. I don't know if I can just throw Lars Newbar into this game after the offense went cold. Maybe you give somebody a day off. I know O'Neill's been struggling at the plate. Maybe you give him a day off or you just wait until Saturday or Sunday to get uh, Lars Newbar into the lineup. But I would, I would go back to Albert. I think Albert's been one of your best hitters so far. He didn't look overmatched at all yesterday, unlike some parts of your lineup. So I would go back to him. And then I would think Saturday, Saturday they probably go back to either Dickerson or Newbart at that DH spot, and then Sunday they'll probably go right back to Albert because it's a left-handed pitcher on the mound. That's how. That's kind of how I would play things out. If you're looking at velocity as your guide, um, you'd probably play him against Peralta instead of Hauser. Hauser throws a little harder. He's closer to like 94, 95 on average, whereas Freddie Peralta is more in the 92, 93 range right now. So it's not a huge difference, but if that's what you're going with, it's probably better, as you guys said, to start him tonight as opposed to tomorrow. Uh, that also gives you the ability to to sit him in a night game before the day game on Sunday when you know yeah. you're going to have him him out there um but i he's also a dh like I, I don't know how much energy he's really uh throwing out there with four plate appearances per game he looks really good right now and somebody on the text line 65780 is your comfort service text line said all good points but are there any of the left-handed bats off of the bench that are really forcing him out of the lineup right now either uh the answer is no i mean especially with Corey dickerson as tanner said he didn't look great over the weekend now it's an unbelievably small sample size he had what eight plate appearances far yeah so it's not as if you've, you've given him a, a great opportunity here, but that's all you got. So based on what you, you've seen so far, Pools has clearly outplayed him. I do want to see Lars Newtbar, though, get into the lineup. And so my guess is what you'll probably see, Albert tonight, Albert on Sunday. I think you see Lars tomorrow uh, in that one against Hauser. And then you just kind of play it by ear from there. Maybe you see Lars get a start in the outfield in one of these as well. Uh, you probably in that game see Dickerson as the DH. Maybe tomorrow what you do is you put Lars Newbar in the outfield, get one of those guys a day off of their feet, and you get Dickerson in your lineup at DH. And that allows you to get a couple of those left-handed bats into your lineup uh, in that one on Saturday. And then on Sunday, you go really right-handed heavy with them. So... Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see the way that they navigate this because we all thought it would go one way. It has gone a very different way thus far. We're all in agreement, though, yesterday, not a huge concern for the offense, right? I, I don't have it in me to be worried after one game in which they scored one run. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously keeping an eye on it because the one common theme here is that they hit bad pitching and went up against a decent pitcher and couldn't hit, but... I mean, it is one game. If we get overly excited about when they're hitting well, you know, obviously we don't want to be hypocrites and you 
don't want to panic there. So I'm not concerned, but I'm definitely keeping an eye on it moving into the rest of this weekend. I'll keep an eye on it the rest of the weekend, and, and then I'll I'll have a reaction to it because I just think Woodruff had really, really good stuff uh, yesterday. So not much to read into. If they struggle all weekend long, then I think it does become a little bit of a talking point, and especially heading into Miami where you're going to see another three really good starting pitchers. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Braden Kylie. In 30 minutes, we're talking to Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com. We've got Mike Kelly of NHL Network as well coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. But coming up next, we're getting back into the Blues with Mike McKenna, the former NHL goalie. He's going to join us to talk about what he saw from Jordan Bennington last night, what he's seen from the Blues during this 10-game point streak, and, man, is this top line for the Blues right now as good as any in the NHL? Mike McKenna answers all of that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line as we do each and every Friday. To be joined by our friend and the former NHL goalie, now the Daily Faceoff analyst, Mike McKenna, joining us here on the show. Mike, we appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Oh, you are welcome. I am uh, happy. Currently been patrolling a couple kids and a dog going crazy in a household. You know how that goes. So uh, just having fun, man. I'm thinking we need to do this in person again sometime. What do you guys think? Like, these phone calls are all right, but... But I miss that chemistry in the building. Let's do that. Let's do that in the near coming future. What do you think? I think we need that. I think we might need like a uh, maybe an hour in studio of Mike McKenna with us before a little hockey. What do you think of that? I'm all in. That sounds like a lot of fun. Let's. let's Alex, just going. put you, you know on the there spot. There's no, there's no good about. answer you could give there, <laughs> yeah. Mike. Yeah, no, you you can't <laughs> respond to that with. I only wanted to do one segment. No, you got to do an hour with us. I'm putting you on the spot there, Mike. I'm all game. You know that, man. We're talking hockey. We're talking blues, the NHL. That's right in my wheelhouse. It's what makes me happy. Mike, do you got an alumni game later on tonight or this week? Oh, tomorrow. I'm traveling to Springfield, Illinois uh, to play in an alumni game for the Springfield Junior Blues of the North American Hockey League, where I spent my uh, junior and senior year of high school, 16 and 17 years old, playing for that club. So going to be seeing some old friends, uh, my billet family that I lived with there who were unbelievable and I'm really just hoping that my body holds up and I make it through. <laughs> I haven't played goalie since the last time I stepped on the ice. I believe it may have even been the day after Halloween with the Blues when Ooh. I filled in a practice. So it's been a minute. All right. I can't wait. I, we, we're going to have to get an update next week when we talk to you because i got to see if Mike McKenna posts the shutout. Now, Mike, I remember when we talked to you after that opportunity, you told us, hey, this Jordan Cairo kid, whoo, buddy, this is going to be special to watch. What we didn't talk about at that point was, hey, the Blues might also have a top line in the NHL that doesn't include Jordan Cairo. And that's what it's been like watching over the last few weeks and really month or so as Tarasenko Thomas and Buchnevich have just gone off. They have a combined 74 points in the Blues' last 18 games. Mike, what have you seen from this line, and is it fair to say they are one of the best in the league right now? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's tough to. It's always tough to go up against the best in the league. Who's really going to be the top dogs? And I thought, you know, Lindholm, Goudreau, Kachuk, and Calgary, obviously one of them. And you could take any line off Colorado, but it's really come down to me what. Robert Thomas has been able to do to unlock not just the scoring potential of Vladdy Tarasenko again and Bushnevich coming along, but to unlock the competitiveness. 
you know, Thomas is so protective of the puck. He's so hard on the puck. His head is always up. And he's got a big engine, man. And that makes a difference because I feel like that's been contagious for his line mates. When you look at any great line across the NHL, that's really important that you have players driving each other. And I think there's a lot of that going on right now between that line. And it's, it really just feeds into the chemistry they have. Like you, you watch Thomas make passes to middle ice that are really confident that really aren't 100% passes. Okay. And, and I'm thinking of, uh, I'm thinking especially of the fifth goal last night, Bouchevich scored, right? Like Thomas curls to the wall, his head's up. He's looking around and just funnels a pass. Like you have to have supreme confidence to do that in yourself and your teammates. And they're all working on the same page together, and they can play with speed. With that being said, Mike, and I understand that you got some incredible chemistry right now, but how much of what Robert Thomas is doing this season is product of his line mates, or, or do you feel like if you put anybody on a line with Robert Thomas, we'd still be seeing what he's doing this season? Well, I'm, I don't know if you'd see exactly what it is right now because Tarasenko is an elite finisher, and we're seeing why Bushnevich was as rated as highly by uh, Doug Armstrong when he got him at you know traded for him last year. But I really think Thomas drives the ball here, okay? And there's very few players in the NHL that I watch when they possess the puck that are able to turn on a dime with their head up and not, I mean, he doesn't look at the puck when he makes these moves and that's what allows him to think of the game so fast and to see the lanes open so quickly is that, you know, a lot of times players, when they have to make these drastic shifts and and directional changes, man, their head's buried. And that is not Thomas. He protects the puck so well. And he's got such a strong stance that he doesn't lose it very often. And because he can skate, because he can do that, he can drive a line. But you got to have the right players with him, okay? I mean, if you can give the puck to Tarasenko, you're going to put points on the board because he can just flat-out fire it. But we also forget that Tarasenko sometimes – I forget how much how good of a passer he is at times. I mean, you know, even on the power play, look at him sauce it around last night from – you go Tarasenko to Krug to Perron, bang, it's in the back of the net. I know it's a five-on-three, but you get three guys that can shoot and can move the puck, and I, I do believe that Thomas is best with them, but you could see it with most people. I've loved him with Cairo this year as well, and – Man, I'd still keep them together, but you can't you can't <laughs> deny the, the chemistry right now that's going on between Busevich, Thomas, and Tarasenko. So Kyra's, you know, left with Shannon Barbashev. Mike, what you're looking at right now is a team that has points in each of its last 10 games. They're scoring an average of four goals per game in this stretch. They're top five in goals allowed. They have not allowed a power play goal in their last 10 games, which is wild. They're also still top five in the league in this stretch and power play percentage as well. Uh, They're basically winning in every way that you would want to see them win. What are the last questions that you want to see answered in these last eight games of the season before we hit the playoffs? I have no concerns about the Blues scoring at all. You look at how deep they are, especially the top three lines, and you really just have to look to that fourth line to be able to go out and grind and give you some good minutes. And I think Nathan Walker's just been awesome. Man. I love watching that guy play. I love, his, I love his history. I love his story. And I love the energy he brings. But you have three lines with the Blues that can get it done. And the veterans are leading the way. I mean, Tarasenko, O'Reilly, Saad, Shen, Perron, they're all doing their thing. The power play's clicking like crazy. I mean, look at David Perron. Four million bucks for 25 goals. He might be the best value in the NHL right now. But I need to see continued strong defensive play from the Blues to believe that they truly have a chance. And it's been better lately. And they've gotten good goaltending from Jordan Bennington lately. And Huso as well. He's been fine. 
But I really look back at that trade to bring in Nick Letty and the positive influence it's had. And now you've got Krug back from injury. The deep pairings to me are as strong as they've been all season because you have veterans on the back end. These guys all know what they're doing. There's no question marks. I mean, even Marco Scandello to me looks like a different player next to Colton Pareko. And Laddies look great with Falk. And Krug had a bit of time with Falk. I suspect that that may go back and forth. You still may see Krug and Falk together. But, you know, Laddies kind of been that jack-of-all-trades for the team since he came in. So I need to see that. I need to see them committed to team defense through the neutral zone, tight gaps, not letting teams enter with speed. If the Blues can keep doing that and keep getting some saves – I'm impressed, okay? I didn't think we were going to be talking about a real contender a couple weeks ago. And they flipped the script, man. It's been impressive. It has been, and so has the goaltending. We all know, Mike, what Ville Husso has been doing this season, looking like a legit number one goaltender. But now you've got Jordan Bennington, who's put a string of games together where he has looked like his old self. I think he's got a 1.50 goals against average in his last two games against the Islanders and Sabres. Where are you at on this goaltending thing? Is is it still Ville Husso and good to have Jordan Bennington? Or do you feel like there's still some conversations going on of who the guy is? I just don't think anything is ever set until the first day of playoffs. And even with the Blues only having you know a handful of games remaining, you just never know what can happen. Because you know how it is when people look from the outside looking in. The periphery of goaltending is, well, this guy's hot. Hot can constitute like two or three games in a row. Very rarely are you looking at like 30, but coaches try to look at that from the max, from, you know, from the max outlook, from looking at it from 10,000 feet, 30,000 feet. And I do think right now it's still Billy Huso's net, but I mean, especially because he's gone up against the tougher teams recently as well, but the way Bennington's played the last two, he's looked like his old self and, and his swags back, like, and that's what matters so much for him. Like he's got to be crisp, but he's also got to be feeling it and having the flow going. And some of the big saves he made, like the, the breakaway on talk midway through the game last night, it's a three, two game. The blues are up and Benner just, he just gloves the thing. No problem on an Alex Tuck breakaway to me. That was a game-changing save. It could have gone totally different from there, and the Blues went the other direction. So um, I liked this game recently. I still think it's probably Huso at the inside track. But if things don't go well the next couple games and Bennington keeps it up, man, I don't think Craig Ruby's going to have any problem going to him in the postseason either. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We are joined each and every week by Mike McKenna. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. We wish you all the best this weekend in your alumni game. We'll talk with you again next week, maybe even in person. That sounds great. And shout out to my mail carrier who walked on by today and he goes, hey, are you Mike McKenna? I'm a huge 101 ESPN <laughs> fan. And I said, yes, I am, and I'm going to be on in 40 minutes. So <laughs> That's I really cool it. this morning. Thanks I for having me, guys. It. Thanks, Mike. Take it easy. That's Mike McKenna That's joining awesome. us here on 101 ESPN. Didn't recognize him as, you know, the former NHL player. Hey, Mike, you're on with 101 ESPN Weekly, right? You're BK and Ferrario, <laughs> Mike McKenna. I love it. Hey, you're, you're friends with those idiots that talk on the radio from 11 to 2. Yep, yep, that's me. Uh, I'm the one that actually makes sense. Hey, uh, you're soy boy Kylie, aren't you? I was going to go beta boy, but soy boy sounded better. That got T-bone, though. You hear him laughing at the background? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I sure do. <laughs> got him. Uh, got him. You see this piece of paper, Alex? Yeah, buddy. It's got a lot of blues notes and stats on it. Oh, yeah. It. I was going to ask if you could take a picture and text it to me so I could use it for pregame tomorrow. I will eat this piece of paper 
if Jordan Bennington starts the majority of the Blues playoff games. Oh, this is like T-Bone eating his own underwear if Paul Goldschmidt doesn't start a uh, game at leadoff. That Man, is, you two are going to be eating some awful stuff moving forward. That is not going to happen. Do you want to make that bet, really? What? That you're going to eat paper if Jordan Bennington starts a game in the playoffs? There's no bet to be made. I will do that. If he starts a game in the if playoffs. If he starts the majority of the Blues games in the playoffs. Okay, man. I hope you. I hope your. Uh, hope your colon can pass paper. Coming up in fifteen minutes, we're talking to Greg Wasinski. We will ask him if he thinks hey, maybe he'll tell you not to eat that paper. That Jordan Bennington will start the majority of the games for the Blues. Six five seven eight zero is the air cover service text line. It is a Friday. That means us time for Ask Us Anything here on one hundred one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on one hundred one. ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Not for questions and answers. That's a totally different segment. On Fridays, we do Ask Us Anything live from the E&B Granite Studio out at the Centene Community Ice Center. Let's start out with this one, guys. Uh, from the 314. Guys, I wasn't able to watch the game last night. Just watch the highlights. How did you feel like Bennington performed? Two goals. Looked like he had no chance on either. Did you think that was the same old Bennington? Or was this something different? I think both games that we've seen him in have been something different. The Islanders game, I thought he was a lot more composed. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't flailing around in net like he was at the early portion of the season. Like it was short movements from post to post. He wasn't too high up in the crease. It felt like he was a lot more composed in the, in the Islanders game. But Buffalo's got more speed than New York. And so when you need him to make those flailing saves, he made them. And it wasn't like he was beat. It wasn't like shots were ringing off the post and he was getting lucky. I mean, he was making the stops with his pads. He was making the stops with his glove. I thought both games that we have seen Jordan Bennington in against the Islanders and Sabres, I think he's looked like the goaltender that we all remember. But that's two games in a row. I want to see the third because we saw it earlier this season where he played well against Chicago and Philly, and then he lost in the Ottawa Senators game 4-1. to So I want to see that third one. 65780 is your comfort service text line for Ask Us Anything. BK, Alex, if it was Randy Carricker and Jamie Rivers versus the two of you in a hot wing eating competition, who do you think would win? Alex has IBS. Yeah, I was going to say I have IBS, Um, but I do love me some buffalo wings. And I saw what Randy Carricker attempted to do earlier today. He has more intestinal fortitude than I do. So I would take Carricker and Rivers against us. But here's my question. Is it speed or is it amount? Because if it's I think speed, it's both, right? It's time. So like over the course of 15 yeah, minutes, how, how many, many wings you eat can in you eat? that time frame? Exactly. See, I'm not good at eating wings fast. That's my problem. I'm very like slow play the wings when I eat them. But you can just eat a lot over a great amount of time. I can eat a, a lot over time. a time, but I'm slow with that. I don't I'm, like to make a mess. Yeah, I, I I would say Randy and 
Jamie would be like a minus 500 favorite. Yeah, I got a, I got a feeling Jamie could dominate some Buffalo wins. Yeah, oh, you I, guys would get destroyed in that contest. <laughs> Thanks for all of the confidence there. You're I welcome. can feel it exuding off of you. Did Randy finish that chocolate bunny? Because the picture he posted, it was just a little piece left. The I fact that there was even close to an ability for him to uh, finish that bunny is a minor miracle. But you got but you got to eat the rest. We of should it. we should clarify for anybody that's just tuning in for the first time today. Randy Carricker attempted to eat a one-pound chocolate and peanut butter Reese's bunny earlier today on the air. And according to Tim McKernan, it had 2,700 calories in that one pound of a chocolate bunny. I've tried those chocolate bunnies before, man, and I like could barely make it through the freaking I have zero interest in attempting such a challenge. Zero. Apparently, he was about to throw up. So This sounds more more like a punishment during Pick'em. That that sounds awful. Um, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for Ask Us Anything uh, from the 314. Would you guys rather have Colton Wong or Tommy Edmond as your starting second baseman for getting the salary? I think I'd rather have Colton Wong. I just think there's a little more experience there, and Colton Wong has shown that he can hit in the leadoff spot. Tommy's got more power, though, but I think Colton's got a little bit more consistency. So you can't go wrong with either, but I think I would rather have Colton Wong. Man, that's tough. I I think I'd actually go with Tommy Edmond just because I don't think he's that much. He's a little bit of a step down offensively, I think, from Wong. Not by much, though, at the plate. He does struggle against right-handed pitching, but he's just as good defensively. And he's a more versatile defender as well. We saw last year he spent a lot of time out in the outfield. You can move him around if you had to. So I, I actually think I would go with Tommy Edmond. And he's a switch hitter, too. So I think I would go Tommy Edmond. He's not actually a switch hitter. He's a right-handed hitter. Um, I, I, in a vacuum, I think Colton Wong is a better baseball player than Tommy Edmond. For this team, given the fact that Nolan Gorman is not that far away, and he's going to be your left-handed bat eventually, I do believe, as your second baseman, I think Tommy Edmond, for this season and long term, holds more value to the Cardinals than Colton Wong would because I think Wong is more repetitive. He, he His skills would overlap, overlap more with what you're getting out of Gorman. So I would take Tommy Edmond, and I know that sounds weird because I think Wong's the better player, but Edmond, I think, is the better fit for this specific situation. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, we're diving into what we saw from Adam Wainwright last night and why that was the latest reminder of his importance to this staff. But Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com, he wrote earlier this week, Alex, that uh, Robert Thomas is one of the more underrated players in the NHL. How does he view that line that he's on right now? We'll talk to Greg Wyshynski about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario live from the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. We are very happy to go back out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, this time to be joined by our friend Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer over at ESPN.com. Greg, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Doing great. Thank you for uh, having me again. It's uh, great to be here. Exciting uh, 
exciting time of the year in the sense that we are a scant few weeks away from the really exciting time of the year. And especially here in St. Louis, earlier this week, you wrote about the NHL's all underappreciated team. It was uh, basically headlined by Robert Thomas, who had once again a fantastic game last night. And Greg, his line has been one of the best in the league now for a few weeks. Tarasenko, Thomas, and Buchnevich have combined for 75 points in the Blues' last 18 games. Is that emerging as one of the top lines as we head into the NHL's postseason? Oh, without question. They played extraordinarily well. I mean, obviously, Thomas and Tarasenko have had uh, solid chemistry for most of the season, and, you know, Vladimir is tearing it up, as we saw last night against Buffalo. Um, the Thomas thing, for me, is, is huge for, for the Blues. Uh, his emergence as the uh, elite playmaking center that they've always projected him to be. I think heading into last night's game, he was second only to Johnny Gaudreau of the Calgary Flames in uh, primary assists per 60 minutes of play uh, for any NHL player this season. His emergence, uh, the continued effectiveness of Ryan O'Reilly, a one-two punch in a Western Conference where that kind of setter depth is required to excel, uh, I think has been a really positive development for the Blues this season. Uh, Greg, uh, I know some people like comps, some people hate comps when it comes to Robert Thomas. But, I mean, when you see Robert Thomas play, I mean, I've heard Patrice Bergeron with Robert, but it feels like the offense might be a little bit more significant than P- Patrice Bergeron. Is there, a, is there a comp to how Robert Thomas plays that makes you think of when you see him on the ice? I haven't really considered comps, but I would say anybody making the Patrice Bergeron comp uh, <laughs> might need to watch a little bit more of Robert Thomas's D. I'm not saying he's a bad defensive player. I think his defense is steadily increasing. But I think we we got to slow our roll before we start making the Patrice Bergeron comps for uh, for Robert Thomas. He ain't quite there yet. I don't even think Ryan O'Reilly is a comp for Patrice Bergeron when it comes to defense right now. It's just, it's hard to be at that level when you when you look like a Hall of Famer basically because of your defense when it comes to being a centerman. But what is under what's underappreciated? You think about Robert Thomas because I, I feel like everyone knows his ability to make the passes. But what sparks me, Greg, when I watch him play is his ability to fend off defenders with the puck on his stick. I mean, against Buffalo last night, he went through three guys that were on his tail and still found a way to get the puck to Pavel Buchnevich. Yeah, I mean, he's got great puck control, uh, great puck management. I think he's responsible with it, which to me is you know, one of the more underrated aspects of being an effective playmaker in this league is, is, is making sure that you're responsible with the puck and making smart plays. I think he's really, really adept at it. Um, and, and, you know, you talked about, you know, him sort of warding off defense, and I think he's gotten stronger as the years have gone on, too. It's been, you know, he clearly has been bubbling under the surface for a couple of years now towards becoming the player that he's actualized as becoming this year. I think surrounding him around or surrounding him with the right talent has certainly helped bring out more of that game in him. Um, and, and who knows what his ceiling is? I mean, we've talked about it before about the, the fact that, you know, it's, it's sort of a sliding doors thing for the St. Louis blues when it comes to uh, not having traded away, Robert Thomas, not having traded away Jordan Cairo when there were, you know, opportunities on the table in the past to deal some of your best prospects away. I mean, the Ryan O'Reilly trade, you know, ended up being Cage Thompson, which for a long time looked like it was going to be a steal. Obviously, Thompson has really come into his own, too, this season. Um, but, like, having held on to those guys and coveted them as long as they did uh, has proven to be one of the more s- smarter decisions that Doug Armstrong has certainly made as GM. 
We're talking to Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Greg, I wanted to ask you about your big picture thoughts on this Blues team as we head in or get closer to the postseason. Uh, They've got a game again tomorrow against Minnesota that is going to go a long way in determining who finishes second in the Central Division. How do you view the Blues relative to the other top contenders in the West, specifically looking at Calgary, Colorado, and Minnesota? I've I've been saying for weeks, man, that I'm really high on the Blues. I think if they get any kind of goaltending performance like they've gotten out of Billy Huso during the regular season, and maybe that comes from Huso or or comes from Bennington in the playoffs. I mean, I mean, you know, I think we're all a little bit wary about what Jordan's going to end up doing in the playoffs, considering what his recent performances have looked like. But you know, who even knows if he can snap back to being the guy that he once was? But with above-average goaltending in the postseason, this is a team that's loaded for bear. I mean, they're as good as anybody uh, in the West up front as far as depth goes. Still not totally in love with their blue line, but I think good goaltending could overcome some of those shortcomings there. Um, they're great. And, and, and the problem for them is the same problem that the Minnesota Wild have, which is that only one of those teams is going to come out of that series. <laughs> I mean, the, both of those teams are really good. The Wild are... Uh, for me, one of the more exciting teams in the league this season, which is kind of amazing to say when you're talking about the Minnesota Wild. But, you know, ever since Kirill Kaprizov arrived in town, they've been transformed as a franchise uh, and have become a, a real fun offensive team on top of being still one of the more fundamentally strong defensive teams in the league. And now with Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, they've figured out the goaltending part of this too. So um, it's going to just be uh, – it's got a, it's got all the components to be the best – matchup in the first round if it ends up being wild and blues. Greg, we talked about this a little bit yesterday about the NHL's playoff structure, but if you just sorted the Western Conference by points percentage to your point on on Minnesota and St. Louis, they would be right there with Calgary as 2-3-4 in the Western Conference when it comes to points percentage right now. Uh, do you think it's about time for the league to look at potentially going back to that 1-8 through eight? In the, in the Western Conference or in the playoffs in general in terms of the seeding, or do you like the way that they're currently constructed? I, I was always more of a, a one-through-eight guy. I always kind of felt like if it ain't broke, you don't need to fix it. I didn't think that format was broken necessarily. The wild card um, you know, part of this, I think, has shown that it does develop some decent rivals, which was the reason that it was designed. And the wild card does open up a few different avenues for teams. I mean, you think about the Vegas Golden Knights right now, for example, the idea that they're sniping for the Los Angeles Kings in that number three spot in the Pacific, but also kind of keeping their eyes on the wild card as another possible entry point. It, it does create some excitement towards the end of the season as far as playoff qualification. But if we're rethinking the postseason, boys, then we should be thinking about playing games. There's absolutely no reason why the NHL should not expand its postseason field Half the league doesn't qualify for the playoffs. I know people point to other sports like baseball and say, well, they only let a certain percentage of the teams in. Well, they're not the NHL. And the NHL's money time, the time when the casual fans start paying attention to hockey, ain't in the 82 games leading up to the playoffs. It's in the playoffs. The Stanley Cup itself is the single most famous thing about the NHL. And so we should invite as many teams as we can to that party. And there's a way to do it with play-in games and play-in series. We're not going to team uh, field that we currently have format. 
Greg, welcome aboard. Yeah. I am so happy you just said that. I was fighting tooth and nail yesterday. This is the conversation we had was, do you expand the playoffs? Do you look at reseeding the playoffs? What does it look like if you do one of those two things? I'm right there with you. I think it would be excellent. I'm, I'm trying to imagine the theater of going into the post or into the playoffs and you've got play in games between like Dallas and Vancouver, Vegas, Los Angeles. Vegas is fighting to be able to get in there and we all know once they get in who knows what could happen that first round series potentially between them and Colorado would be unbelievable I'm I'm so there with you I totally agree but Alex absolutely hates yeah, the idea look Greg I, I love your takes all the time buddy like you are my favorite but I don't <laughs> like it when you get this guy happy over here thinking that he knows what he's talking about well I mean I, I apologies I don't want to you know I don't I don't want to create a schism on the show but oh no it already I mean, existed I, I think, you're good Greg <laughs> I think I think I think Alex would do well for himself to come up with at least one logical reason why they shouldn't expand the playoffs besides they shouldn't or besides worrying yeah. about the feelings of the seventh and eighth teams in in the conference playoff format like who cares the, the, the amount of, of logical defendable reasons why they should expand the postseason from an economic fan interest uh, simply numbers standpoint far away any argument at this point. Um, so, yeah, it, it's beyond time. I wish they'd do it. And the other thing, too, that I wish they'd do, and this is a real big plank in my platform, whether or not they expand the playoffs or not, reseed the Final Four. They did that last year. It was awesome. Nobody cared that it was two teams from the Eastern time zone. If you have a, the opportunity to have some of these traditional rivalries, could you imagine – a Chicago-St. Louis Stanley Cup final at some point down the road when the Blackhawks are worth a damn again? Like, <laughs> reseed the Final Four. It's such a logical, easy thing to do. There's no reason why we need to be a slave to this geographic format in 2022. Now that is something that I can get on board with, Greg. You're you're on board with getting rid of the conference alignment in the Final Four, but you think a step too far is going to why a play in game? Why wouldn't you reseed? <laughs> Greg is so right. This was my argument with the one through eight again, Greg, because I'm so sick of watching one of the best matchups happen in the first or second round. I was sick of seeing Pittsburgh versus Washington not in the Eastern Conference Finals. What if we just did a one through sixteen to start the playoffs, Greg? Get rid of the conferences in general. Well, I've come around to that idea. Um, you know, I, I never really was the, a proponent for it, but I've come around to that idea only because, like, the playoffs are a place where you make, like, in a 1-16 through 16 format, you're going to end up making some really interesting new rivalries just because you're going to have cross-pollination between the conferences. Like, it's great that Pittsburgh and Washington play each other so often. I mean, it's great for business, it's great for hockey. Those are, those are two amazing teams and, and bitter rivals, but all you're doing is kind of reemphasizing what's already been emphasized. If Pittsburgh and say like Vancouver have an absolutely brutal seven game series and that heat carries over to the next year, well, now you've really made something more interesting that could help your business in the next regular season. It's all, it's all long-term wrestling booking boys. I mean, you just set up <laughs> your rivalries and then you pay off at the pay-per-view several months down the line. I mean, it's, it's, it's booking one-on-one. See, this is why Greg Wyshynski is the best and why I love getting him on here. By the way, Greg, I didn't forget about your challenge that you tossed to me, so give it a week, and I will t I will accept that challenge of coming up with a logical reason of <laughs> yeah. why the playing games <laughs> he needs a week. shouldn't happen. But, Greg, I did want to ask you – go ahead. I was going to say, I, I understand you're, you're only a, 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 a live radio host. Uh, I can understand why you would need a week to develop yeah. an argument. 
uh, in, in a sports debate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to give me a little time to. I got to back up my sources and you know check out Wikipedia and see what I can find. Uh, Greg, I, I did want one more from you on the Blues. You mentioned the goaltending. Is there anything? Because I think all of us are on board with Ville looking like the guy that should start Game One in the playoffs. But with these final seven, eight games for the Blues, is there anything that could change somebody's mind about going back to Bennington to start Game One? Well, the only the only thing that's that's a mind changer is is how you want to structure your goaltending tandem. I mean, th- there is a an argument to be made, and other teams have done this before, where you start the postseason with your boom or bust guy. You start the postseason with Bennington, and you say to yourself, "I'm going to give him a game. I'm going to see if he can break this nine game losing streak. If he can look like Jordan Bennington again, and then if he can, that's great. We'll roll with him a little bit." Um, and if he can't, then we go back to the, the goaltender that we think is better anyway. So there, there's an argument and some logic to be made there that that could be a direction they go. But then there's also an argument to be made that you don't want to risk going down one nothing in a series against the Minnesota Wild. You roll with the best lineup you possibly can. And I think at this point, based on what we've seen this season, that's going to be Billy Husa between the pipes. Greg, we can't wait to start these playoffs, man. We're looking forward to it. They would, of course, be better if they had a play-in game, but we'll accept this nonetheless. We appreciate the time, as always. Anytime. Thanks for having me. You got it. That's Greg Wyshynski joining us here on 101 ESPN. Um, We don't have to talk about the playoff play-in. I love that, man. But I do find the idea of going 1-16 to to be interesting. Can I tell you what the matchups would be if you went that route? I just did this. This is really intriguing. I love the idea of 1-16. through So let me start out with uh, the top four seeds. There are some fun ones here, but I think like 6-11, 7-10, and 8-9 are the best. So we'll get to that at the end. Colorado versus Vegas. Florida versus Dallas. Carolina versus Nashville. This one would be oh fun. Oh, my God. Carolina versus Nashville would be insane. Toronto versus Edmonton. Yep. That would be a lot you, of fun. You're telling me you don't want to get two Canadian teams going head-to-head? Rangers versus Washington. That would be fun. And then this is where it gets really exciting. Minnesota versus Pittsburgh. Calgary versus Boston. St. Louis versus Tampa. Oh. St. Louis Tampa would be a hell of a lot of fun, and you can't tell me that wouldn't be an unbelievable first round. I would take Greg Wyshynski's point, and I would put it and expand it to all of pro sports. Get away, get rid of the conferences, get rid of the uh, championships where you're going against each other, interleague, interconferences. Just go top to bottom for the rest of the way. Who cares if it's in football? two NFC West teams going head-to-head for the Super Bowl or in baseball if it's two National League teams in the Central Division, that just creates more excitement to get to that point. And you're seeing teams build rivalries in other conferences. So, yeah, we don't have to go on this tangent. We could do it another time. But I love the idea of separating the the dumb East versus West in the championship and going top to bottom the rest of the way. I think I'm here for it. You're here for it. Just agree. The new scheduling format makes it easier to go this way. But playing games are stupid. Um, I do think in baseball, for example, given how many times you play your own division, it could be a little tougher to get away with it that way. What if you fixed the regular season scheduling? What if you did away with, like I was thinking when Greg said that in the NHL, what if you got rid of the, okay, well, you play your division four times and you play the same or a different division in your conference three times and only the East two times. What if you spread it out to where you're playing all these teams three times? 
Could you logistically do that, though? Well, I, you'd have to look down. Yeah. At, I mean, you got, what, 31 teams, and you'd have to spread it through 82 games. So, But maybe you only play each other twice, and then you get one extra game against a couple of divisional opponents. And In baseball, you had 162 games. You're telling me that you can't take four series away from the Cardinals and Pirates and put it into the American League sure. West? Like that Especially would, now that the rules are the same. That, that that's a big be, part of it. And, and that's you what could they're doing prob- next year, too. Yeah. And you, in hockey, you could look at doing kind of like the schedule that they had last year, but not do just divisions, but you play the same team in a three-day stretch. We need we need to do more of this with Greg Wyshynski and talk about it. Just w- what could we change to make the How NHL better? We cha- well, Greg, I is- feel like we do this every like people do this when you hear ESPN Radio in the morning. It, the only it. time you hear them talk talk baseball is how do you improve baseball? If right. it's a if it's a rainy day, a, a, a slow news day in the middle of June, I promise you, you will hear the morning show on ESPN Radio, not ours, but the national one, talking about how you fix baseball. We should do some of this in the off season for the NHL. Ideas to not fix it. The NHL's great the the product is really good right now but to just make it that much better i love it with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley mike kelly of nhl network is going to join us coming up in about 30 minutes coming up next so last night we saw the importance once again of adam wainwright in his struggles to this rotation we'll explain it next here on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Last night wasn't great. It wasn't great for one Adam Wainwright. He clearly did not have his best stuff, Alex. And when you look back on what we saw last night, I think it showed us the importance once again of Adam Wainwright being the guy that he was last year. I don't expect that to be something that we see often. I think you're going to see Adam Wainwright be good more often than not. But when he has a a poor performance... It puts that much more pressure on your bullpen this weekend, especially with Michaelis, Mats, and Hudson expected to be starting over the next three days. Man, those guys have to be better than what they were the last time around. They've got to give you more depth into the game, especially Steven Mats. He's the one that was brought here to be somebody that you could count on to at least get you through five strong innings consistently. And when Wayno goes short in his outing, now you have to burn a couple of your long relievers in Verhagen and Brooks last night. So now you go into today's game, and if Michaelis falters early, uh, it it suddenly becomes something where you lose today and tomorrow. And this is what happened to the Cardinals a lot in June, where you'd have a starter go out of the game early, you'd have to burn a bunch of relievers. I'm thinking specifically of that Dodgers series, and then you're just chasing. You're just trying to find, okay, who are we going to throw out there to be able to fill these innings? That's something this team can't afford to do, especially early on in the season. They've got to be able to get some better outings out of some of these two through five guys in the rotation. Yeah, you got to get length out of these guys. Otherwise, your bullpen's going to be in, in major trouble. And I mean, like you just start looking for trends. And if for me, if you put three consecutive outings for Michaelis and Mats to where they can't get through four innings of work, if I'm John Mozeliak, I'm getting on the phone and I'm figuring out how I can upgrade my rotation because I can't sit around and wait for, oh, well, Jack Flaherty's coming back and that's going to help us, or well, we got Jake Woodford and Johan Oviedo and Matthew Libator. No, I can't wait for that because I can't take a chance of finding myself down in the NL Central two months in and then other teams find out that they need to make adjustments and then you're in a race to get some type of trade to help your team. If it doesn't look like it's 
going north with Michaelis and Mats. Like, Wayne, I'm not worried about. That was one game he talked about how with uh, the rainouts and, and the games being postponed, it kind of messed up his schedule, didn't use it as an excuse, but he'll be fine. But if Miles and My- if Miles Michaelis and Steven Matz struggle, then I'm going to have to start finding some type of fixture quickly because I can't continue to figure out that uh, sooner or later they'll find it. No, you need to find it now because if my bullpen gets taxed by month two, I'm going to be in some massive troubles. Yeah, they're going to they're going to need some start a good start out of Michaelis and Steven Matz this time through the rotation. And you could throw it on Hudson as well. I mean, he threw more innings than both those guys in his first start coming off of Tommy John. So those three are going to have to pick up the the workload, and especially a guy like Steven Matz, who, like you said, BK was brought in to do so. Honestly, Miles Michaelis, too. That's what he was paid yep. to do when he get, was signed over here from uh, Japan. Dakota Hudson, I understand if they're going to be a little bit more cautious with because he's coming off of Tommy John. But Miles Michaelis needs to go out there, and he needs to eat innings. That's what he was best at when he was healthy in 2018-2019. And honestly, I didn't think he looked that bad in his last start. The pitch count just ran up on him, and because he's not built up all the way because of a shortened spring training, they had to go get him. I, I think you'll see a good start out of Miles Michaelis as he goes tonight, and I think you'll see a bit of a bounce back from Steven Matz. But honestly, this is kind of the game you're going to play with guys that are pitching to contact. It's basically a game of luck, whether the ball is hit towards your guys or not. And I think that's part of the issue you saw with a Steven Matz, a Dakota Hudson, is they're pitching to contact, and sometimes it just doesn't go your way. And I think that's going to be a major storyline for this pitching staff going throughout the year this season. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 636. Guys, Wayno has one bad outing and the world loses their minds. Are you guys doing all right? You can't win every game and you sure as heck can't pitch a nine-inning shutout every outing either. Did we just did we did I miss us losing our mind about Wayno starting? You're I'm, already trading for somebody. Well, that's more because Miles Michaelis and Steven Matz can't pitch for you. Well, all you can do in the first week or so of the season is just kind of point to okay, This is a trend worth monitoring. The trend worth monitoring thus far is that the biggest question about the Cardinals going into this season was its starting pitching. Right now, the starting pitching has not been good enough outside of Wayno on opening day. So what does that mean? Not a whole lot. It's one week into the season. We've only seen the Cardinals play five games. They've had one really good start, and otherwise they've been okay or bad at times with their starting pitching. What does it mean long-term? Not a whole lot. And right now, that's all you can really do. What does it mean that Albert Pujols yesterday was really good against a righty? Not a ton. That means a lot. That means a lot. But but it's something worth monitoring. If he can continue that trend, it kind of changes the way that we view the DH spot in the lineup. What does it mean that so far this year, you haven't had a whole lot when it comes to uh, Tyler O'Neill's offensive production? Not a whole lot. I'm not in any way, shape, or form worried about him. What does it mean that Nolan Arenado is off to an offensive tear right now? Not a ton because you need to see this go consistently. But if he continues this kind of production, it is going to be an MVP potential season for Nolan Arenado. That's all we can do right now. And so right now, when you for, for me, when I look at this rotation and it starts early on in the regular season, I just wanted to find out, are the Cardinals going to be right? They bet a big on their current staff. They basically have four real starters, and then they're throwing numbers at that fifth spot right now. Are they going to be right? We don't know. But so far, the the production has not matched the talk from the Cardinals. That's all we can do. And I, I hope that they get better results this weekend out of Michaelis, Mats, and Hudson because they really need it. Do you know why people think that we're panicking four, five, six games into the season? 
because we all know what happened last year. Yeah. We all know what happened when your pitching wasn't getting you enough innings. Your bullpen got destroyed, and you didn't have arms to get you through the month of June and July. And maybe the difference this year is you do have more guys that you trust in your minor league systems. Hopefully Matthew Libator and Johan Oviedo will be ready to go, and Jake Woodford looks better than what he did. But we've been here before. We've done this before. So why am I worried? Because the, the, the first couple of months of the season can damage a team in terms of you go into a losing streak. So I just don't want to see that happen. Maybe it's too aggressive to say that you need to get on the phone and start making calls. But weren't we all saying that this team needs to get on the phone and make calls as soon as Jack Flaherty went down with an injury? Yeah, by May 1st, I think you can have that conversation. And Not today. I don't think they're going to be calling anybody today. But no, I, on May 1st, if we're having the same talk then that we're having right now and we're looking at it, we're saying, hey, the trend is not good here. The Cardinals clearly need to find more pitching. Sure, at that point in time, whether it be Matthew Libertor, somebody internally that's coming up, or you go external and try to find other options, maybe Frankie Monza, something like that. Yeah, I, I think we'll be having that conversation three weeks from now if this trend continues. I mean, for me, it's three starts with Michaelis and Matt. If I see some struggles still in three starts, then I'm going to start to get concerned with that. And the closer you get to uh, June, July, the more teams start calling about pitching and the, the higher the cost which means in all reality from what we've seen in terms of track records, the lesser likely the Blues are the Blues. The Cardinals are going to go out there and find themselves a starting pitcher. And the fact of the matter is, too, is that you can get away with these these short outings right now because there's so many off days that are built in and you've got an expanded roster. After Monday, they're going to go through a stretch where I think it's 17 games in a row, 16 games in a row, because they had an off day built in, but it's now been filled with the game that was rained out against the Kansas City Royals where they're coming here to St. Louis before you head out to KC. So they're they're not going to have a stretch a long stretch without off days, and that's where the starting pitching is going to be crucial. And in that same stretch, that's when the rosters are going to go back down to 26. So they're not going to be able to burn through a bullpen like they have right now. Their pitching is going to have to kind of stabilize somewhat because when the rosters shrink and there's no off days, it's going to become a lot harder for this Cardinals team to keep going to the bullpen this quickly. In 15 minutes, we're talking to Mike Kelly of the NHL Network. But coming up next, time to dive into the juncture. A little early today here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Tanner, what do you have for us today in the junk drawer, my man? So I saw this on television the other night. And so, you know, we like to put down our sports bets, whether you're betting on the Cardinals to win or the Blues to win. But I, I like the long future bets. And there's a betting event up in Alaska. I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce this. I believe it's pronounced the Nina Ice Classic, which is where they put a tripod in the middle of a frozen river. And then you, everybody can put bets down on when the tripod reaches a certain point uh, past the river and from when it when the ice melts, and it's like a long-standing bet. So you can put down $3 on it, and the bet may not end for four months. But whenever this, uh, this tripod reaches all the way down to, I can't remember what the exact point is, whenever it reaches past that, boom, you're the winner. I think we do this, boys. we got to go to Alaska to put our bet in, but it's cool. Sounds like a waste of time and money. <laughs> Is this worse than betting on the marble races that we were doing throughout the pandemic? No, no shot. I'm not, I'm not this bored. 
No, so you're saying on. I gotta. You're saying I gotta watch a tripod you sink don't gotta in watch. ice. It still let you know if you won or lost. What, what the, it's the, not sink either. It, it floats down. God, like the clown. They float it down usually here. freezes between October and November, reaching an average thickness of 41 inches on April 1st. It then melts on top due to weather and on bottom due to the water movement, and you bet on when it's going to get down. This sounds like the equivalent of me betting on how fast paint will dry it, in my it, house. It does kind of have that vibe to it. T-Bone, what T- are you doing? Tanner, I don't think we are this I, I was thinking we try something a little bit more out there in terms of our betting. It's getting boring betting on the you know, That's because you bet $5 on one game. If, I told you, scared money don't make money. If we were betting on you the FanDuel Sportsbook no, of Miles Michaelis's strikeout total tonight, I would rather do that than this. I'd no rather chance. paint my future baby's room than do this. Really? And bet on how fast that paint drops. I would rather put together IKEA furniture than bet on this. Okay, unbelievable. I'd rather listen to Tanner sing "Believe It or Not" for an hour straight Damn. than listen to, to do this. I'm that Tanner. This is a lie. Like that was a lie. You've had some good ideas over the years. This isn't it. On how to make some more money. This is your worst idea I, you've ever I had on our show. I thought this was here. I, I thought so, this was the one. From the know? 618, T-Bone, I appreciate your idea. No, you don't. You're lying. Thank you. You're lying thank to you, all of us to try and make T-Bone feel better. It's a good idea. T-Bone wants us to pay to go to Alaska to place a bet on a tripod that's going to sink on ice. Over well, months of time. And for <laughs> us to get a call four months from now and say, hey, you didn't win. Somebody said it sunk faster. And you have to pick the exact time of it. I think it sounds fun. This I think I like might do when, it. This is like in grade school when your teacher would be like, okay, somebody uh, write down how many dog treats are in the container. <laughs> yeah. and you could win a free lunch ticket. The number of M&Ms in the glass container. I used to hate those. Like, this is stupid. Come, that makes sense. Coming up in about 15 <laughs> minutes or so, we're going to be talking about Robert Thomas. Is he a product of his line mates? Alex will make the case. That's coming up at what? 1 o'clock. But next, Mike Kelly said yesterday that the Blues have a top three line in the NHL with Robert Thomas, Pavel Buchnevich, and Vladimir Tarasenko. Is he willing to go so far as to say they would have the best line on the ice against the Colorado Avalanche? We'll talk about it next with Mike Kelly here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We are broadcasting live out of the Centene Community Ice Center in the ENB Granite Studio. And right now, we are going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Mike Kelly. You can check him out on NHL Network's program, including NHL Now, NHL Tonight, and On the Fly. He joins us now on BK and Ferrario. Mike, we appreciate the time, man. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, thing. I'm probably not doing as well as St. Louis Blues fans the way that team's playing, but I'm doing pretty well. That is so right, Mike, because for the longest time in, in February, it felt like the world was falling apart for the St. Louis Blues because people were like, oh, my gosh, this team doesn't have the goaltending, the offense isn't consistent, defense stinks, and now we've seen things turn around. And <laughs> I, I loved your breakdown on NHL Network uh, yesterday, and that's really the reason we wanted to get you on was to talk about what we are seeing right now with not just Robert Thomas, but with his line, including Vladimir Tarasenko and Paul. Yeah, they've been so good together. Um, you know, everybody knows about Vladdy Tarasenko, what he can do, uh, incredible shot that 
spin around shot goal that he had the other night was a thing of beauty off the touch pass from Thomas. Um, you know, Buchnevich, that was, that was a steal of a trade. That was fantastic. And, you know, he's getting a big opportunity in St. Louis playing really well. Um, and, and Robert Thomas is just, he, he's, he's established himself as one of the best playmakers in the league. He, he really has. And, you know, there was a lot of, there's a good young talent there when you're talking, especially about Thomas and Cairo. And I think it was, it was kind of easy to see the breakout season coming from Cairo just because he had done so much in, in, you know, real limited minutes that knowing this year he would get more of a chance. Um, you, you could expect that kind of breakout year. Robert Thomas would have been a candidate as well, but what he's done is it's more than I, I, I imagined and, and certainly incredibly impressive. Um, you know, some of the things I was talking about yesterday with Thomas specifically, it, when it comes to playmaking, there's really key areas that, you know, with analytics and the company sport logic I work with, uh, where you can identify good playmakers, the things that they do well on the ice that are going to translate to assists and ultimately goals for your teammates. Um, and he's top 10 in, in the critical areas, um, you know, completing passes into that dangerous slot area. He's seventh in the league. The one big thing, and Blues fans will know this from watching him, when he enters the zone with the puck, he's one of the most dangerous guys in the league in either getting a chance himself or setting up a linemate for a chance. He does that on about 35% of his entries, which is fifth best in the NHL, and the guys he's hanging with in that top five are the best of the best. So it's been a lot of fun to watch, and when I evaluate a line and and how good are they offensively, uh, because different players play different amounts of ice, uh, et cetera. I'm looking even strength per 20 minutes. There's only one line in the NHL that scores at a higher rate than this line in St. Louis, and that's the Matthews line in Toronto. Uh, the line right below is the Lindholm line in Calgary. To have that Thomas, Buchnevich, Tarasenko line sandwich in the middle, pretty impressive. Mike, it's interesting you say that because that's what I wanted to get to next. We heard uh, Doug Armstrong last offseason when the season came to an end in his exit interview, if you want to talk about it that way, with uh, the Blues Assembled Media. He basically said, hey, listen, we can't be the Colorado Avalanche. We don't have a Nathan McKinnon. We're not going to be the Penguins. We don't have a Sidney Crosby. So we have to do it with the depth of our scoring. But right now, as you just mentioned, they've got one of the best lines in the NHL with the way that those guys, those three are playing together. When they step onto the ice, potentially this uh, this playoff run against uh, the Nathan McKinnon line or the Lindholm line up in Calgary, are they going to be able to go toe for toe and potentially have as good of a line as those two against Calgary and in, in Colorado? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but, you know, to Doug Armstrong's point, I don't think that they have to. I, I don't think you have to go into it saying, okay, we're going to put O'Reilly's line up against McKinnon's or we're going to put Thomas' line up against McKinnon or, or even Shen's line, whatever it's going to be. Um, because it's spread out a little bit more in St. Louis, I think you can throw different looks. And that's a really effective way in the playoffs uh, of matching up, um, especially against superstar players. I mean, I, I, I remember talking to, to ex-general managers, scouts, a lot about playoff matchups just because it fascinates me the the strategy that goes into matching up against certain players um you know one great example that i had was was an xgm telling me how they had a shutdown center and they played him against the other team star in the first game and, and it went great and the thought was yo you go back to it in the next game and but then there was well no that player is a superstar there's no one he's not going to figure out we're going to throw different looks keep him uneasy throw a checking center at him for a couple shifts, throw an offensive guy for a couple shifts. Um, so you've got Ryan O'Reilly, who's 
again in the Selkie conversation. He'd be top five on my list for sure this year. Um, and then, you know, more offensive line as well with the Thomas line. I think you can throw different looks and, and not necessarily have to be married to anything in particular. Mike, one area of this Blues team that I think people are, are still, if you want to call it, concerned about are the amount of shots that they're giving up. I think they're averaging about 31.7 shots allowed per game, uh, which is right around middle of the pack in the National Hockey League. Should people be concerned about that? Can the Blues overcome that by giving up that many shots on goal? Maybe a little concern. Um, to be quite honest, shots on goal, it's not even in the first couple things that I look at, whether I'm measuring a team offensively or defensively. Um, I get there, but I'm looking more first at the, the quality of those opportunities, the types of those opportunities. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll use St. Louis offensively as an example. They're second last in the league in shot attempts. They don't shoot the puck a lot. They value quality. They're sixth in the league in shots on net from the slot. And they're eighth in expected goals. And they're fourth in goals scored. So that's meaningful, right? They're winning the areas that you need to win. Um, defensively, yeah, you nailed it. They're kind of middle of the pack in what they give up. They do give up a little more than average from the net front area. Um, and they allow passes into the slot at a you know, bottom 10 rate, but kind of closer to the middle. So it's not perfect. Uh, and again, where I would get to to evaluate them defensively is look at expected goals against. That's the, the probability of the types of shots you're giving up, not just the numbers, the volume. Um, and they're 19th right now, which is, you know, it's, it's okay. Um, but you, to be successful in the postseason, you don't have to be an elite defensive team. Uh, they've had good goaltending this year uh, overall, you know, namely Huso especially, but not alarming, but certainly if you can make some improvements there uh, with how good they've been offensively, then just improves your chances overall. We're talking to Mike Kelly of NHL Network here on 101 ESPN. Mike, tomorrow we're going to see another rematch of the Blues against the Wild for the final time in the regular season, but it's expected oh, yeah. at least that that will, uh, that will also be a matchup we see in the playoffs in the first round. How do you see this matchup? How do you view the, the, the two teams, how they match up against one another? I'm excited for this game tomorrow. We were, we were talking about this on the network yesterday. Pick a game on the weekend that you're excited to watch. I went straight to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, these two teams, are, they're, they're fun to watch. Like, it's good hockey. And, um, and they're, yeah, they're going neck and neck. I mean, St. Louis has won seven in a row. They're probably thinking they're going to get a bit of separation and lock that two spot down. But Minnesota keeps winning, too. So um, it, it's been a great battle. The, the thing with Minnesota that the reason why they give teams trouble um, and they did this to Vegas in the playoffs last year in the first round, that series went seven games. They win the net front. It's a critical, critical area, especially in the playoffs. They're really good offensively in front of the net and they're good defensively in front of the net as well. Um, you look at the season series this year, you know, St. Louis has won both games. They've been tight and, and close. Um, but St. Louis has, won that net front battle against Minnesota. That's, that's so critical. So if I'm a Blues fan, I'm watching this game on Saturday. I'm, I'm watching for, you know, are we able to get on top of their goaltender, make it a bit uncomfortable for him? And are we able to keep their heavy guys uh, away from the top of our net uh, and limit those second chance opportunities? Um, but this, you know, these, these are two really, really good teams. Uh, they're obviously both on heaters right now. It's a lot of fun to watch them play. They're both top five in scoring. Um, and you know, they, they do well enough defensively and, and the goaltending is good. So, um, 
it should be a great game. But that, that's to me the key to Minnesota is is you, you win that net front battle. Uh, kind of like that with with most teams, but especially this one, you're, you're going to be in good shape. In a seven game series, Mike, would you give the edge to St. Louis or would you give the edge to Minnesota for what we know this season about how both teams are playing? I'd, I'd have to dig a lot deeper to, because it's a it's kind of a coin flip to me right now. It's yeah. it's close. Um, there's not really many identifiable weaknesses I can say with one team that the other team I know can exploit. It's not. It's really tight. Um, Minnesota, you know, I'd probably lean a little a little bit more towards Minnesota. I think there's more. You know, there's the, the goaltending is more established, and that doesn't mean that Huso or even Bennington can't go in and, and play as well as the other guy uh, at the end of the ice. It's possible. There's just more of a sample uh, on that side. Um, I think the high, you know, Kaprizov is on. <laughs> I don't know how you shut this guy down. Um, I probably like the depth at forward a little better on on St. Louis, but uh, it'd be so close. I, it, I I can't imagine it wouldn't go seven games. Mike, we'll get you how to hear on this one. When we talk to a lot of people, they, everybody seems to view Colorado as the overwhelming favorite in the West. And then there's kind of that second tier of Minnesota, St. Louis, and Calgary. How do you view the gap right now between Colorado and their, those other three teams? Is it significant as it has been for much of the season, or do you think it's closing? I don't think there's a significant gap. But um, I, I, my, my tiers would be Colorado and Calgary in a first tier. And in no particular order, and then as you say, you get into the St. Louis, Minnesota, um, you know, teams like that. I think Calgary's right there with them. And look, the, the Flames went through a bit of a dip, uh, you know, middle of the season. Um, they've obviously gone on some pretty good runs as well. That team is built to win in the playoffs. And I look at them up and down their lineup. I, I can't poke holes really anywhere. And they've got a superstar top line. Uh, they added some depth. They get to Foley in there. Um, their, their defense, good puck moving. They're very, very good defensive team. They're top two in goals against and expected goals against. They can score. We know that. That team is built to win in the playoffs. And if they if they do end up going up against Colorado, I'm going to look into it a little more. It won't happen in the first round, so we'll have some sample. I'm not handing that to Colorado at all. So I, that, those, to me, are the two teams in the West, and it won't shock me at all if Calgary is the team that comes out of that conference and, and plays for a Stanley Cup. He's Mike Kelly. He's excellent over on NHL Network. He appears on NHL Now, NHL Tonight, and on the fly. You should also give him a follow on Twitter. He's at Mike Kelly NHL. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. We appreciate the time, as always. Hopefully, we'll talk with you again soon as we get closer and closer to the NHL's playoffs starting up. Anytime, and uh, thanks for having me. Enjoy the game Saturday. It's going to be awesome. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Mike Kelly joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's interesting, man. Early in the season, I think it was clear based on all of the analysis that we had been seeing and then just, I mean, our own uh, viewing as well. Colorado was was the number one team in, in the West. And then I think a lot of people were kind of like Mike. They had Calgary either with Colorado or kind of in that second tier almost on their own. And then it was Minnesota, St. Louis, Vegas, a few other teams maybe thrown in there. We'll see what Winnipeg does. We'll see what Nashville ends up looking like midway through the season. They kind of got thrown in as, hey, you know, they're they're a little better than people were anticipating. I think it is really now stratified in the Western Conference. I think it is Colorado. I still have them at the top. 
And then I think Minnesota, St. Louis, and Calgary are right there in that three-team tier in the second. I think one of those four comes out of the West. I would be very surprised if it's not one of those four. I would agree with you. And the only pushback I would have with Mike, and Mike, of course, knows better than I do because he looks at the numbers a lot more, but just off of the gut feeling. By the way, he was excellent. He's always stand for the time. He always is. And make sure you watch him on NHL Network because he's got so many just analytic sides of the game. But I would push back on the fact that I'd give the slight edge to Minnesota because I think the Blues are deeper like he mentioned I think the Blues have better puck movers on the defensive side and if it comes down to goaltending the Blues have had the numbers of Cam Talbot and Marc-Andre Fleury in the past couple of seasons I'd give the edge to Ville Husso and Jordan Bennington I just think it's such a clash of styles and that's what I find so so intriguing about this matchup is that you look at Minnesota and it's it's almost become a reverse of what these teams used to be Minnesota has now become the more physical heavy style of hockey team and I know if you just look at like weight the Blues are the bigger quote-unquote team but Minnesota plays that heavy style and now the Blues are more of a run and gun type of a team and I know they've been getting back to the cycle nature of their game and they have they can play physical when they want to the Blues can but it's it's just such a clash in styles right now, and I I can't wait to watch Jacob Middleton going up against the Blues. <laughs> oh God. That's really what you go back to. Yeah, Jacob Middleton against the Blues, the guy who got walked by Robert Thomas in the game. He yeah. also he, he also scored a goal he in that game. Let's be fair. Goal. He got lucky on a goal. That's how Jacob Middleton's lived his life. Yeah, well, uh, he's he's done well, pretty well for them. For? Yeah, so that aggressive. Was, that was uncalled for. I apologize to Jacob Middleton because he's he's that mustache is legendary. By the way, he is second, third pairing defenseman. The Blues ended up making the right decision by getting. How's Justin Braun doing right now? By the way, I have not checked. You want me to check on him? Yeah, it, has I did he check? Sherratt's been just about as good as Lenny. Yeah, Sherratt's been okay. Um, but Justin, I heard I heard Jamie talking about him the other night, and he said that Sherratt is very one dimensional. Justin as a Braun right is a minus two in six games for the New York Rangers. Well, clearly wasn't the right well, guy. He's only playing 15 minutes per night as well. So he is a third-pairing defenseman. defenseman for them. The Blues ended up being smarter than we are. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to some NFL quick hitters, including this Kyler Murray story seems to be bubbling to the surface once again. Is it a coincidence that that's taking place less than two weeks before the NFL draft? I think not. We'll get into that coming up at 115. But next, we continue talking about Robert Thomas. Is he a product of his line mates, as Alex thinks, or... Like I think, oh, is he okay. elevating those around him? Here we'll talk about that go. next here on 101 ESPN. Oh, yeah. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Are the Blues going to go into a potential series against Calgary and Colorado and have the best line that's in the series? Uh, At least numerically, it's in play. You just heard from Mike Kelly, who joined us. If you missed any of that conversation, I highly recommend checking out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We don't use the word best on this show to describe things anymore, BK. I overused it. Now it has lost all of its meaning. 
You BKO'd the word best. Way to go, man. That makes sense. Tarasenko, Thomas, and Buchnevich have a combined 74 points in the team's last 18 games. And if you look at what some of the numbers are that Mike Kelly, as he mentioned, he looks at, uh, they're one of the top three lines in the league right now what, with what they have done so far this season. He has them at number two behind Toronto's top line with Austin Matthews. Alex, is this a situation where Thomas has elevated those around him, or do you think those around him are elevating Robert Thomas? Well, you know, I don't appreciate how you painted me into a corner coming into this segment thinking that I'm the one that doesn't think Robert Thomas is a product of his line. I have heard you say it before, though. No, you haven't, T-Bone, because you don't hear what I have to say. Can I read the email that you sent us last night? Yeah. Sure. Please do. Quote, is Thomas a product of his line mates, or is he going to sustain this offense if Tarasenko is not with him? You know, in the business, BK, they call that a cliffhanger. And well, I'm going to explain to you why it was. I'm because hanging on I the edge. Go back to eating your nutty bar, man. <laughs> there, I don't think he's a product of his line. I think Robert Thomas is doing what he's doing because of Robert Thomas. Now, some of this comes into who's playing with him, but Robert Thomas... He's only had 22 games this season where he has not gotten a point, which may not or may seem like a lot, but 22 out of 64 games, he's gone without a point. He's a point-per-game player right now, but he has never gone more than two games in a row without scoring a point. And if you look at who he has played with this season, he's had six different players that have played on the line with him. It's never just been the same group of players. Now, they found some chemistry right now with Pavel Buchnevich and Vladimir Tarasenko, but he's had Tarasenko and Cairo. He's had Tarasenko and Buchnevich. He's had um, Cairo and Buchnevich. He's had Barbashev and Buchnevich. He's played with a lot of guys. I think what Robert Thomas is doing, he's benefiting off of having guys who can finish, and that's what Mike McKenna told us earlier today. But Robert Thomas is doing what Ryan O'Reilly did when he first was acquired by the St. Louis Blues. Robert Thomas is doing what Jaden Schwartz was so good at, creating offense because of his ability to keep the puck on his stick and open up space on the ice. So I think that if you were to take Vladimir Tarasenko off of this team next year and put a Kairou or a Buchnevich or a Perron, or a Shen, or maybe a Matthew Kachuk, you're going to see the same outcome for Robert Thomas. Yeah, I just think you need to see him play with skilled line mates. Like, this was always my critique of the way that they utilized Robert Thomas in the past. And uh, to be fair, he had not earned more ice time, which is what he had to do in order to play with better players, because those are the guys that are getting the most amount of ice time for the Blues. He needs guys that are able to play at his level. I'm watching the winning time right now, Alex, the, the documentary on the, the 80s Lakers. And when Magic Johnson early in the do or show series, not really a documentary necessarily, but early on in the show, uh, Magic Johnson is passing to his teammates and he's doing some behind the back stuff. He's he's no looking like and his teammates just are completely unprepared for it because it's unlike anything they had ever played with. That's Robert Thomas, man. He's going to make stuff happen that you, if you had not played with him previously, if you are not a super skilled player, if you're somebody like me, for example, who I just have to do everything I can to be able to get my job done. Uh, when you're just a super north-south player, it's hard for you to play with somebody like Robert Thomas who sees the game at a higher level than most other hockey players in the league. 
Tarasenko and Buch- Buchnevich, though, they're also hockey savants. They can speak that same language on the ice as Robert Thomas. They play that same way. And so when you have those three together, this is the result. You could see the same thing happening. I think you could get this with a David Perron or a Jordan Cairo. I think Shin is at that level, although playing it in a different style. So it doesn't necessarily have to be specifically Vladi and Buch that are on that line. But I think that's what the maximum potential of this line is. Because with that, you've got three guys that can shoot you also have three guys that can distribute and so like that goal that we saw a few nights ago now where all three of them were a part of it and it was the spinorama and one of the highlight reel goals of the season that's the kind of thing you can get with this specific line that you might not get if it was for example a, a Braden Shin or a David Perron on there but I think you would still have a ton of success because you just have to have guys that can score alongside Robert Thomas. Right now, and I went and looked at this last night, and I compared it to the 11-game win streak that the Blues had in 2018-2019. This line of Tarasenko, Buchnevich, and Thomas, they're more productive than Schwartz, Shen, and Tarasenko. And I think we talked about this yesterday, but like they're more productive than that line. And remember what everyone was saying about that line. I don't know if we've seen a better offensive line in the National Hockey League than Schwartzen and Tarasenko. You've got more creativity on this line. And I think it says something about Robert Thomas and not just having goal scorers on his line. Because Tarasenko and Buchnevich, yes, they're, they're viewed on the big stage as goal scorers. But they also are elite playmakers. Vladimir Tarasenko, I've used this phrase so much, but Ken Hitchcock used to say all the time that Vladimir Tarasenko is a better passer than he is a shooter. Pavel Buchnevich, this guy is more passive than he is looking to score goals. But I think that's the, and this goes back to the conversation we had yesterday also, of the unselfishness of this team. You don't have guys out there that are saying, well, I need 56 goals on the season. You've got guys that are saying, we just need to make the right play. We don't need to worry about just getting shots on goal. We need to worry about finding that open net. That Vladimir Tarasenko goal, this first one of the game last night, that was, that was all product of, well, I'm going to find the most creative way to set up a goal so that it's easy for our guys to score a goal. Like, there's no need to have the high skill that goes into it because Vladimir Tarasenko, you could put Logan Brown in Tarasenko's spot on that first goal, and it's a tap-in for him because Thomas and Buchnevich are creating that offensive opportunities. That's what I think you're seeing right now with this line. That's why they're so productive, because they're creating all of this open space, and teams don't know how to defend them. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. I guess Robert Thomas is the same as Magic Johnson now. Oh my gosh, also from the 636. Awesome. What an incredible take. Play with better players, and in turn, you look better. I'm probably not explaining this well. Robert Thomas is unique. Robert Thomas's ability to create for his line mates can be difficult for players that aren't at the same skill level as Robert Thomas. And that is different from other centermen that have played for the Blues over the years. Like, I, I don't know, and, and this is not a shot against these guys, it's just a different playing style. But, like, Shin can kind of play with anybody, and Shin's game doesn't necessarily change based on who he's playing with. You're going to expect similar production regardless of his line mates. He can, he can kind of camouflage with those guys. Stastny doesn't, didn't necessarily need the kind of players to be elevated next to him the way that you need with Thomas. Same thing with Bacchus. Like, it's just different. Uh, Bozak is this way. Those other centermen that the Blues have had over the years, even Ryan O'Reilly to a degree, although he does have some of what Thomas possesses in terms of his ability to see the ice, 
those guys are uh, go about it in a very different way stylistically from what Robert Thomas is. Robert Thomas is almost like a, again, kind of a, a, maybe a weird comp here, but a Patrick Mahomes in that some of the guys that play with Patrick Mahomes can't elevate their games to play with Patrick Mahomes. Like, he does weird stuff where he's going to be looking the other direction and then suddenly the ball is going to come to you. I saw Demarcus Robinson drop a whole lot of those passes because he was not prepared for that early on. Same thing for McCole Hardman, where he's like, hey, the ball isn't supposed to come to me on this play. This is designed for one guy, and then suddenly it's coming to me because Mahomes saw something in the defense that most quarterbacks would not and could not see. That's Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas sees things on the ice that is just at a higher level from a lot of other players, much less centermen across the league, and certainly compared to other guys that have played here in St. Louis. And that's why I think it is so important that he plays with other guys that have that same really high-level hockey IQ. You can say whatever you want about Vladimir Tarasenko. That dude is an unbelievably high IQ hockey player. Same thing with Pavel Buchnevich. You see Jordan Cairo at times, although he's going through a little bit of a slump right now, where it's like, whoa, how did he see that? How was that even something that he could see on the ice? That is why I think that we have seen this specific line come together the way that it has, because you've got three guys that view the game the same way. And I think that opens up new possibilities for all three of them. So to answer the question that you asked, is he a product of his line mates or is he elevating those who play with him? The answer is yes, it's both. He is elevating Pavel Buchnevich and Vladimir Tarasenko. This is the best version of both of those players that we've seen all season. And it's no coincidence that it's coming with Robert Thomas. But also, we're watching the best version of Robert Thomas because those guys have that kind of ability too. The best way that I can put this is think of Vladimir Tarasenko's career here in St. Louis. And he's played with a lot of great centermen. You mentioned him. David Backus, Paul Stastny, Yuri Laterra for a season, Braden Shen. But he's never had a number one centerman. And when you think of him playing with Robert Thomas, and look, he's not going to match the career highs that he's had in the past. Like, he's had 40 goals. But his centerman was Paul Stastny the season he scored 40 goals. And Paul Stastny had 39 assists. You're talking about Vladimir Tarasenko playing basically a point-per-game style. But he's also got a centerman who's a point-per-game player. And he's never had that before. That goes to show you how good Robert Thomas truly is. 65780 is your comfort service text sign from the 636. BK, you explained it fine. We just don't like you. That's, that's fair. <laughs> that, that I totally understand. Oh, good. You got my text. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to a game of one's got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. But next, NFL quick hitters. Is there a real chance that between now and the draft two weeks from now, Kyler Murray gets traded? I'm still betting against it. But it seems like the buzz is starting to emerge once again. We'll talk about that and a little bit more coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Buzz is starting to emerge once again on a potential Kyler Murray trade before the draft. Now, I'm not buying it, Alex. I thought this was resolved. He put the pictures back on Instagram. He put the pictures back on Instagram, but yesterday there was a report that came out that his agent has pulled off the offer 
that they opened negotiations with for the Cardinals on a potential long-term contract. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll get to one's got to go here in about 10 minutes or so. Kyler Murray has one more year left on his current rookie deal, and then next year is the fifth-year option that will cost roughly $30 million against the cap for the Cardinals if they don't extend Kyler Murray. Now, Kyler wants to be paid like Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. He wants that $40-plus-million-per-year contract on a long-term basis. But those guys waited until next year on their deals to be able to get those kinds of contracts. Or some of them, Deshaun Watson, for example, didn't get this contract until after his second deal where it became fully guaranteed. Well, how do you think this goes over the next couple of weeks, Alex? Do you think we see this get resolved? I think so. I I really feel like it's just all about the drama for Kyler Murray. It's just all about the eyes on him talking about him. Heck, he'll probably take the Baker Mayfield level sooner or later and say he was disrespected by the Cardinals, but I think this gets resolved because Arizona doesn't have any other options in terms of unless they go to the draft and they decide to draft one of these quarterbacks, but that would seem like a step backwards. So I think this gets taken care of. I just think right now it's about demanding the money to be paid like I'm a number one quarterback, like I'm the best in the league, and sooner or later he's just going to give in and say, whatever, let's just play. I think that's how it's going to go as well. I I find it hard to believe they trade him. I, I can't say I wouldn't be stunned if it happened because then maybe they go make a move for a Baker Mayfield, for example. But I, I think this is going to get resolved. This, this whole offense and this whole team is built around Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury's system. So I, I think it's going to get resolved. How it's going to get resolved, I'm not 100% sure because I don't think Arizona should buy it or uh, cave in and pay him the big bucks. He's not that great a quarterback, in my opinion. He hasn't been able to win anything yet. He looked Speak it. overmatched in the uh, playoff game against the L.A. Rams. Truth. I wouldn't pay him $40 million per year. Me neither. Not yet. Nope. Like, if you want to wait a year, sure. We can talk in that Matthew Stafford, Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, Derek Carr. We, we can get into that conversation after next year. But right now, if you want to re-sign, you're looking at Jared Goff, Carson Wentz money. You're looking at $35 million per year, maybe $33 million per year on a four- to five-year contract. Are you cool with that? If you're Kyler Murray, it seems like his answer would be no. And if that remains the case, I would play hardball with him. Say, Kyler, that's fine. We can go into this season. You can play under your current contract. Next year, you've got your fifth-year option. we got two more years of franchise tags after that. You are under contract, essentially, with the Cardinals for the next four years. And if you want to bluff that you're going to go play for the Oakland A's who have a salary, uh, a payroll right now of like $35 million, go ahead. You, you can go play, play for them. And then you've got six years of club control for them. Like he doesn't have any other options right now. He's going to play for him this year. If he sits out the entire season, he'd be giving up almost $5 million in salary. He would only make his roster bonus for this year and next, which is essentially wiped out by that. He's not making any money over the next couple of years if he decides not to play. So I'm playing hardball with Kyler Murray if I'm the Cardinals. I'm not giving him the extension he's looking for unless he wants to play on this deal for the next year, and then we'll get it to you next year. But right now, uh uh-uh, you got more to prove as a player. You're not there yet. You're not at the same level as Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers. You do one more year, then we can talk about it. Get past the first round, and then we'll talk. Yeah. Alex, yesterday, our daily Jordan Davis update. Uh, Jordan Davis! That's my update open. He was down in Atlanta. He threw out the ceremonial first pitch. 
It was really impressive. Probably looked like he could start Major League Baseball. For a guy that's 340 pounds, he looked like he was like a baseball player on the mound yesterday. How's this change his draft stock in your mind? <laughs> looked, looked to me like he was top 10, in my opinion. Like somebody somebody is going to make the mistake and say, uh, Thibodeau, he's better than Jordan Davis. Uh-uh. You're making a mistake when you sleep on a man who's six foot eight and has a wingspan of an offensive line in the National Football League. You're going to be mistaken. I'm hoping it's the Chargers, but I saw something yesterday, BK, that I didn't like. The Chiefs. He was he was mocked to the Chiefs uh, by at least one is, guy. And uh. it's not even about him playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> it's about him being drafted 29th overall. That is disrespectful to my man. No chance he lasts that if long. If that man gets drafted 29th overall, I hope he makes 28 other teams play. What, what's the Chargers pick? Is it 17? And I still think that's too low I for him. Say, I think that's too low. But I like the jersey, and I don't like anybody from 10 to, to 16. I want him so. to go to Houston. Let's go Texas. Come on. No, if, if he goes to Houston, I, I am going to be miserable. There's more buzz, by the way, right now. That apparently Trayvon Walker, the defensive end from Georgia, yeah. who I think had like four sacks last year. What is that about? Might be the number one overall pick for the Jaguars. I don't buy it. Valentine if you can go Valentine. over to the FanDuel Sportsbook right now, I haven't checked what the odds are on this, but if you can bet on Aiden Hutchinson at reasonable odds to be the number one overall pick, I would feel pretty confident that that's still going to be happening. He's the best player in this year's draft. He's got the highest ceiling to be combined with the, uh, the highest floor as well. I'd be stunned if Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, their defensive end, isn't at least a good player this year. Not going to be like Jordan Davis, though. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You're right, better. Oh, you you take those words. Keep Jordan Davis's name out of that, mouth. Has that died yet? or is that, I think that's is over Is it old? Now. Yeah, okay. I think that's over. Nobody knows the reference anymore. I think 14 or 15 is where you see Jordan Davis. Who go. are those teams? Baltimore or Philly. Please don't be Philly. Please that, don't be that Philly. That feels like the right range. I'm Baltimore, okay with Philly. Baltimore. You said the Chargers at 17. I think that's right around where he Here's probably is. Here's to hoping it going. goes to the Chargers because I look good in baby blue. Next thing, final thing as we close out some NFL quick hitters. Speaking of the NFL draft, Malik Willis is a quarterback that you're going to be hearing a lot about. Yesterday I was watching uh, ESPN. Matt Miller, really good guy, actually a Missourian, uh, native Missourian. He was on there. He's an NFL draft analyst. He compared Malik Willis to Jalen Hurts. Alex, if you're an NFL team and you think that Malik Willis, the, the quarterback out of Liberty, is going to become maybe a slightly better version of Jalen Hurts, where do you take that guy in the draft? Second round? That's a disappointment if he's a Jalen Hurts because I felt like he I felt like he had a closer comp to Lamar Jackson than Jalen Hurts. And if it's Jalen Hurts, I'm not drafting him in the first round. Especially if I'm if I'm Carolina, I'm not wasting a tenth pick in the draft. Tenth overall sixth pick. pick is it sixth? I thought they yeah. had tenth. I got six. I'm not wasting a sixth overall pick on a guy whose ceiling is Jalen Hurts. I think they're going to end up with Baker. It just makes too much that's, sense. That's what I, I think. They're going to wait and see if Carolina, because Stoltz said yesterday on the fast lane that he thinks. They're going to call around at the draft, and somebody's just going to say, "We'll give you a seventh-round pick for him." But if I'm in a, if I'm Carolina, I'm just going to wait for them to buy him out, yeah. and then I'll just give him a cheap deal to come play for me because he plays better when he feels like 
he's not in the spotlight. So I think they trade down from six. They end up getting Baker Mayfield, maybe a third, fourth round pick, something like that. A, a conditional for it might even be a conditional pick for next year, where if Baker Mayfield hits these numbers, then you get a higher uh, draft pick. But I, that feels right to me. I think I would take him at the back end of the first round. Like if I'm Detroit at 32 and I've got Jared Goff there who can start for me this year, I would probably be willing to take Malik Willis there with the hope that he becomes more than Jalen Hurts. But even if he's Hurts, I at least have my future starter for a little while. So I, yeah. I think that's probably where I would feel comfortable taking a guy like that. That still is a that's a that's a rough comp for him. And I know yeah. some people like Jalen Hurts, but, man, I thought Malik Willis was going to be better than that. So Jalen Hurts makes me – if that's the case, I don't know if I'm drafting a quarterback in the first round. I, I would agree with I, that. I wouldn't this year. Yeah, I, I wouldn't take any of these quarterbacks in the first round, but I know one or two of them is going to go in the first round because teams are desperate. Kenny Pickett's going to go in the first round, absolutely, and I think Malik Willis will too. There's something – I know everything this time of year, like take it with a grain of salt, but apparently Matt Corral, the Ole Miss quarterback, is the number one quarterback on a number of teams' boards. That surprised me a little bit. I – I thought he was fine, but maybe I'm just off on my I evaluation. I thought he would draft Matt Corral over Jordan Davis. That was a waste <laughs> of a draft. <laughs> Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into the BK and Ferrario Rewind. Are the Blues hitting their stride at the right time? And how does this compare to the finish of the season in 2019? You might be surprised. We'll get into that coming up at 145. One's got to go. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for One's Gotta Go. Let's start out with this one, guys. It is Easter weekend. One Gotta Go Easter Candy Edition. Peeps, Robin Eggs, malt balls, jelly beans, or chocolate bunny. Which one's gotta go, Alex? I don't know if I would consider Peeps candy. Peeps what? are disgusting. They're they should gross, be wiped off the face of the earth and yeah. shot into the sun. Yeah, that's what okay. I'm talking about. <laughs> Preach, BK. Well, there's a terrible take for your that's Friday afternoon. No, there it- is nothing I would rather consume less than Peeps. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they are awful. There absolutely is, and it's freaking robin eggs. If I'm going to eat chocolate, I'm not going to eat little chocolate that looks like bunny poop. I'm going <laughs> to eat a big bunny chocolate. The Peeps are the goats. You only eat them once. They're literally marshmallows. Gross. They're literally marshmallows they with sprinkles chocolate. on top of them. No, they don't. They yeah. belong in your Put a mouth. Put hot chocolate. Now we're talking. Uh, you guys are stupid. Get rid of the peeps. Those things Y'all going to bring the terrible. demons out in me. Soy boy over here needs his non-marshmallows hey, I'm with, for I'm Easter. With, I'm with soy boy here. Peeps got to go. <laughs> guys, I'm an oat milk guy. This is the thing that's the worst <laughs> part about all of it. I don't even drink soy milk. I like oat milk. Come on, get it right. 65780 is the air tank. comfort service text line. Four ones got to go. Apparently, you can microwave peeps and they, like, explode or something. Oh, that sounds uh, fun. That is interesting. Uh, all right, that makes sense, though. One's got to go queso edition. 
me some queso. Or excuse me, uh, dip edition, I guess. Oh, okay. Well, now you ruined it. Say, White queso, queso, yellow queso, guacamole, or salsa? Which one's got to oh, go? This is simple. It's guacamole. Yeah. Guacamole has no taste to it, and it's disgusting. It's just what snooty people like to, to make for dips. So like BK. Yep. Oh. You don't like guac? Would people Guac's like to disgusting. come over and have some chips and guac at my house this weekend, Kara? I don't know why. Got him. Kara, would you mind finishing the guacamole while I finish my Peloton ride? I, I totally picture that as BK, like, on the weekend. He's the guy that demands guac at his tables yeah. oh, at, when he goes out to eat before he even gets his water. I demand it. He I, says, I don't want water. Give me guac. the guac first. I, <laughs> Guac's got to go. That, that stuff's <laughs> disgusting. I'm with Alex. Get rid of the guacamole. <laughs> <laughs> How did I become Brian from Family Guy? BK, people hate me right now because of what just happened, so don't worry, buddy. Yeah, I'm in the same uh, same page as them. Oh, never mind. That last text that t- that last text went deep on you, BK. You can't read that. No, you can't. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service X line for one's got to go. One got to go. Random. Wait, cardinal. which one has to go, man? You didn't say. Yeah, you didn't answer. Well, not guac. That's the best of those. <laughs> yellow yellow queso, not good. I, I, I don't I, need that. I, I, that would be second on this list because white queso is so much better than yellow yeah. queso. I agree with uh, that. Gringo dip, guac, salsa, those are all staples. Yellow yellow queso, if that's on the menu, I'm out. Uh, one's got to go random Cardinals edition. Mark Reynolds, Brandon Moss, John Nagowski, and Jeremy Hazelbaker. Um, Brandon Moss and... Who was the first one? Um, Mark, Mark Reynolds. Reynolds. Those two. Those two stay for sure. So it comes down to the Nog Father and Hazel Baker. And honestly, the Nog Father has a better nickname than Hazel Raker. And I feel like the Nog Father, although he didn't have the proper time. What happened, buddy? My <laughs> <laughs> text line's funny sometimes. <laughs> Somebody said alpha males drink cow milk. Oat milk is for betas. I'm sorry. <laughs> I saw it and I, I couldn't oh, hold that. When PK smirks, man, it's game over. I'm going to get rid of Jeremy Hazelbaker because the Nog Father will still reign here in St. Louis. I'm going to get rid of Hazelbaker, too, mostly because we've had a chance to talk with Mark Reynolds, Brandon Moss, the Nog Father. I don't know if we've ever had Jeremy Hazelbaker on the show, so I, I got to get rid of him. He's, not, had a, him he's not a friend of the show. Seemed like a nice enough guy. There's. Nothing there. We're good. We don't need to. We don't need to interview him. The other three are excellent, though. So yeah, uh, Jeremy Hazelbaker's got to be the one that's. I bet that's Moss going. would get rid of Brandon BK Moss. out of the three of us. Remember, BK can bring up all the bad memories. No, of no, in the wild no. Card Brandon game. Moss would get rid of me before BK because he saw me miss the ball nine times. In the oh, he did make fun of you in the dugout after we <laughs> came back. And then on the air the next time we had him on. Yeah. Uh, 65780 is the air covered service X line. Last one here. One's got to go. Blues free agency edition. Tarasenko, O'Reilly, Cairo, or Thomas? Like, you lose you them You let them agency. go once they hit free agency. Oh, man, that's really tough. T-Bone, you go first. I don't want to be the bad guy here. Oh, great, because I thought mine might be a little bit of a out-there take. I'm going O'Reilly. And the reason I say that is because I think the Thomas, Cairo have such high ceilings, and we've already seen Thomas start to reach his ceiling. I, I think Cairo's... I- I- I don't know what to make of his recent struggles. I think next year he's going to have a full 82-game season. And he's going to play really well. And then if you're just going off, if, if Laddie's happy to be here and you get rid of the trade request from the offseason, he's been the Blues' best player, one of the best players this season. And honestly, you can replace a Ryan O'Reilly with Robert Thomas. He's already kind of taken over that role as the number one center. 
I think I have to get rid of Ryan O'Reilly. I don't feel proud saying that, but I, I think he's the one you got to get rid of in this case. I, it's KP3 I hate to is say such a good argument. I hate to say this. I want to make this very clear. He's at T-Bone 101 yes. ESPN. That is where you can find Go him, at T-Bone and 101 ESPN. There will be a, a audiogram out later on today of T-Bone saying that he's not liking Ryan O'Reilly. Clip and listen it. to the show why. He said Ryan O'Reilly is in decline. He's clearly showing yeah. signs of age. And that's why he's only at 48 points this year. Yep. Alex, who you got? I think I'm going to go Vladdy here. And I don't like doing it, but I just don't know if this is consistent with the injuries that have taken place. And look, the guy is fantastic. There's no question about it. But it comes down to Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly for me. And Ryan O'Reilly does so much. I mean, we had Mike Kelly say that he would be in his top five of Selkie conversations right now. And a lot of people think Ryan O'Reilly's having a, a bad season or an off season. So I don't know if I could let that go. With Vladdy, I appreciate what he's doing. But if Matthew Kachuk's available, I'm going to go after Matthew Kachuk and let Vladdy walk. That's my question. What's the replacement here? Uh, because with and Vladimir Tarasenko, I, I can see how I... I can replace him with Matthew Kachuk. There's really no way to replace Ryan O'Reilly, but I agree with Tanner. BK and Ferrari Rewind coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. recommend you go out to 101espn.com or you download the free 101 ESPN app on your smartphone check out the podcast page hit that BK and Ferrario spot and you can find all of our interviews from today any of the segments you can find it all over at 101espn.com the free 101 ESPN app we talked to Mike McKenna we talked to Greg Wyshynski we talked to Mike Kelly if you're looking for blues talk this is the place to get it you can also find it from two to six when the fast lane is going to be live with Jamie Rivers in studio once again today excited to hear from then Alex before the show today you were like, you know what? I think we should check check out how this Blues finish to the season compares to how they finished in 2019. So that's exactly what we did. In 2019, they finished the year 9-1 and 2. They were averaging 3.8 goals per game. That was third in the league. They were at 2.3 goals allowed per game. That was eighth in the league. There's a bunch more that we could get into, but those are the big numbers really. 9-1 and 2, 3.8 goals per per game, 2.3 goals allowed per game, top 10 in both of those statistics. Right now in their last 10, Alex, the Blues 9-0-1, averaging 4.1 goals per game, which is third, the same as they were in that stretch in 2019, giving up 2.4 goals per game, which is fifth, slightly better than where they ranked in 2019. Is this the kind of finish that we need to see from the Blues to be able to believe once again that they're a realistic cup contender? Uh I don't know if they need. we need to see the finish that they had in 2019 because in 2019, the finish that they had was limiting their opponents to very little shots on goal, and they were only scoring, what was it, 3.18 goals per game? 3.8 goals per game. So they were scoring at a pretty high rate, yeah. but that's a good point. They were allowing 29 shots per game. This year, they're at 34. They were eighth in that stretch of 12 games in 2019. They are 20th in the league in shots allowed over the last 10. Would I like to see that shorten up a little bit? 
absolutely. But I feel like if you see that shorten up, you're going to see the goals that they're scoring shorten up. And I just want to see them continue to play the way they are offensively, which is defensemen chipping in, trying to get the five-man unit, cycling the puck. You're going to have some odd man rushes the other way, but that's where I would feel more confident with my goaltenders making the big saves and know that they're locked in. So I would rather see the, the, the finish to this season the way that they have been playing in this last 10 rather than the finish that they had in 2019 because I'm not worried about them limiting the shots on goal as I much. just think they've found their game. This is, they have found what they are as a hockey team, and it took them a while to get here, man. They found it earlier this season. They lost it, and now they are reclaiming that identity as a team once again. It's going to be a really exciting weekend of hockey for the Blues. Tomorrow, you'll hear them against the Wild right here in your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Alex is your pregame coverage starting at 1. We'll have the full broadcast starting at 2 o'clock. And then Sunday again, they are on the road at Nashville. 5 o'clock puck drop for that one. All of this right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be back on Monday at 11. The Fast Lane coming up next from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.